Hello and welcome to the Wingnet Travel Podcast with me, James Hammond. Personally, I have been to 50 countries. I've met so many people in my travels that I want to bring them on this podcast and get their story on record. I have plenty of tips and stories to share with you as well. Are you a backpacker or a traveller or gap year student or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you. Throughout the weeks and months, you'll get many guests and solo episodes where I try to cover all range of subjects within travel. This is a casual and informative travel podcast to inspire you to travel in the future. Do you fancy some bonus content with this episode? Then fear not. If you start to my Patreon today, by going on to www.patreon.com forward slash travel podcast, then you'll find these extra features every week for Monday and Friday's episode. One bonus episode every month, some ad-free content, some early access to episodes, the exclusive added travel must-have feature on every episode, patron shout-out, some ad hoc bonus episodes, you'll get a copy of my digital travel planner which is available on Etsy and you'll get my monthly Winging It Travel podcast magazine. If this takes your fancy, you can sign up for £4, $7.50 Canadian, $6 US a month and I really thank you for supporting the podcast. Hope you enjoy the podcast, thanks for listening and supporting this and I'll see you soon. Cheers James. Let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to Winging It Travel podcast and this week I'm joined by Michael Jurgens. Michael is an avid traveller, adventure racer and loves wine. He's the owner of the Butan Wine Company and splits his time between that and Deloitte and other interests. Michael runs a very popular Drinking and Knowing Things newsletter and has also released a book by the same title. Michael is also a professor at University of California and loves playing in a punk band, diving with great white sharks, building motorcycles and competing in adventure races. Michael, welcome to the show. How are you doing? What's up, man? Great to see you. What's up, James? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, as I was saying before the recording that last week I had COVID, so we talked about that a bit before the recording and I had to get over that longer than expected uh, I was trying to work out where I called it from do you ever do that with your COVID cases that you've had well so the 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 last one I knew because the guy that I was at my house texted me and said yo dude I just tested positive for COVID and I gave him <laughs> a hug when he left my house and so it was pretty it was pretty obvious where that one came from but uh the first time I caught it I was an early adopter actually I I um I was in uh in February of 2020, I was yeah. all over Asia uh, and, and I was in like 14 or 15 different cities. Oh, wow. And then I yeah. came home and I, and I got home and I had, and I was sick with this weird flu. And so I might've been like one of their early super spreaders. So mental. Yeah. Where did you get yours? I only had this first time and I think yeah. it was at a wedding. Yeah. But weirdly, no one else has come out and said they had have COVID from that wedding. So I'm like, is it the wedding? I don't know. Um, I think it was, I flew back on the Monday night, right? From UK, which is about a nine hour flight. I, and I was ill that night. Wait, I think that's too a soon. Nine hour flight from, from Vancouver to, to London. Yeah. Nine hours. Yeah. Straight in. Shit. That's better night and get out of LA. Yeah. I'm kind of used to it by now. I wonder if they, I wonder if they're doing like the Arctic circle route or something. Cause I yeah, feel like so- every time I, I go to UK, every time I fly to London out of, out of LA, it's at least 11 hours. Yeah, so when you look at the flight path, it goes straight over like yeah. the northern part of Canada, right? And it goes over yeah. Greenland. So yeah, this probably cuts out two hours. Yeah, um, well, yeah. Another benefit to living in Canada. <laughs> I'm sure there are many, and I'm sure there are some drawbacks, um, which I'll come to in a minute. But yeah, and I think I probably called it from a wedding because I think the flight was too soon. I was ill that night. I think it's too soon, too soon for COVID, isn't it? I don't know. I might be wrong. I. I I'm not sure anyone has any fucking idea about yeah. really exactly yeah. how this works. So like, 
<laughs> for, all, for all you know, you got it in the Uber on the way home from the airport that manifests uh-huh. itself 30 minutes yeah. later. Yeah, on a train. Yeah. I was on a train. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, interestingly, back to February 2020, I think back to those times, I was in Vegas uh, right before it all got announced, and it must have been swishing around in Vegas, right? That, like, end of January, early February, surely. You, yeah, you would have thought, I mean, if it's going to be anywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lots of people go to Vegas. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I had been in, I had been in, um, I'd been in Bhutan. I'd been in Kathmandu. I had been in Delhi. Oh. I had been in New York, Philly, Chicago, and some other weird place like in Europe. Oh, maybe like Frankfurt or something. Yeah. On the way there. So I was like, I, it's got, it's going to happen, isn't it? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm pretty sure I, I caught it somewhere. Um, <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. And the, the last event before lockdown for me is this. I went to see the Strokes. If you know the Strokes, and other Strokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to see them. They came to Vancouver and done, a, done like a fifty-minute set. I don't think Casablanca, whatever his name is. I don't think he was too into it. But yeah, that was the last time when he had like, like thousands of people all like on top of each other. And then like next day, I was like, no, don't go to work. Well, I did. I actually did the LA Marathon on March. I think it was like March 9th or whatever. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I had come home and I, and I was not feeling well. I got back on the first. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. It was, it was like April 9th. And my, my friend and I that had signed up for it, it was, we were like, should we be doing this? And I'm like, I was, I just got it. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And, uh, and so we went and did it. And then literally like six days later, the entire state of California went on complete lockdown. <laughs> and we were like, we were just like sweating all over 30,000 random people in close <laughs> proximity. Crazy times, uh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there you we're go. Getting through it. We are. And just one last thing on COVID, because it's a bit of a boring subject. With your business interests and travel, that must have affected you, right? The whole closure of travel. Or was it uh, actually a good time for you, like to maybe have a bit of a reset? That's a classic well, word. I mean, use. without attri- attributing like good or bad to it, it had a profound impact on on how we would try to deliver advising you know clients on Mm. things um and and what we found is that there are some things that lend it themselves way better to that type of work and i don't need to jump on a flight to go tell somebody they need to cut costs you know Mm. i can probably do that over zoom but there are (laughs) other things that are that are much harder um, and it, it also changes the economics of, of things too, where, you, you know, if you don't have to travel for, for a bunch of work, especially if it's a large project, you know, you can really save money for the, the client, but at the same time, be more profitable. You know, you're both mm. sharing in this, in this lowered economic cost thing, but at the same time, you lose the benefit of the face-to-face and the like, yeah, I'm a big fan. I mean, I'm a wine guy, right? So like, yeah. I want to sit down with someone. I want to have food with them. I want to have wine with them. I'm trying to understand, you know, what the objectives are and you lose that. So, yeah. you know, that, no good, no bad, just it, different. things are different. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting time now, isn't it? Cause we're sort of back and they're, they're trying to figure things out. What is the best now for normal times, right? Is it working remotely four or five times a week? Is it actually going back to the office? So it's quite an interesting time. Travel's now back and it's now like, a shit show because they're overpopulating flights and not enough staff, right? So it's an interesting time. As a guy who's taken uh, 
four transatlantic flights in the last seven days. I can tell you travel is a <laughs> shit show right now in America. <laughs> I, can, I can absolutely speak to that. It's weird. I, I thought it was a shit show going back. I went to UK, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago? I flew on the day on the, on July, was it? Yeah, July 5th, right? So the day after the holiday, um, mm. and it was like all the holiday people that had gone away. Like it was mayhem. And not only was it mayhem, it was, and now we're boring the shit out of everybody that's listening to this podcast because we're talking about, oh, and then the airport sucked. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, but it was like everyone had forgotten how to travel because they yeah. hadn't done it in so long. And yeah. you were like, what do I do? I, you know. <laughs> and also yeah. we went to somewhere in Spain where it wasn't like a popular place. And it was actually quite refreshing to go on a flight that's like a third full. Um, but almost oh, to the point awful. like, yeah, are they going to cancel it? Oh, there's not enough people. But they yeah, they went through with it. Flew to Where'd Coruna. Coruna in Spain. I don't know where that is. Where, that where is it? Galicia, northwest corner. Galicia, right? Galicia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tip here, if you want to fly to Spain, don't go Madrid, don't go Barcelona, but go to Coruna and get a train because... The flight is the third full. It's real smooth. No like bags like holding up the area. Like it's pretty easy. That's awesome. Yeah, and that was a good lesson because I came back to Gatwick after that, and it was just oh, it's just chaos. <laughs> <laughs> where and where where is home originally for for you? I'm from Norwich, England. Norwich. Okay. Have you been? I've not. No. Nope. No. A lot of people have not been there. It's a very historic city. It's in the east. It's near it's near Cambridge. That's what that's the one I go to. Um, yeah, see if they don't if they don't have wine there, like I'm kind of not interested. There's a vineyard know, so. in the county, yeah. There's a vineyard. Yeah, well, so so Kent and Sussex are coming up in, oh, yeah. in the UK yeah. as like kind of there's wine routes there now, but you know Galicia is where like Rias Baixas comes from, Albarino. Uh, okay, and it, so it, there's some interesting wine stuff going on going on there, which is why I know about it. But that's how that's how single mindedly focused I am in some <laughs> ways about. You know, where do you go in the world? Like, is there wine? That's question one. I'll tell you what, we are going to get to the wine. That is going to be my next thing. Um, but very quickly, this wine, this vineyard that is in Norfolk. So Norwich is a city. We've got a county around it. I'm sure you're aware of how Britain works like that. And in the county, there's one called Win, as in W-I-N, Birri, B-I-R-R-I, vineyard. And they do make wine. And I've never been, but it's actually quite close to where I'm from. So there is one vineyard that I do know operates out of the out of the county well there you go there you go random Winberry. facts winberry everybody go check it out in norwich yeah absolutely okay before we get to wine tell listeners where are you normally based and where are you now so uh i grew up in southern california um just a little south of los angeles in a little beach community um spent you know the vast majority of my life there and recently relocated home base to the east coast of the u.s and i'm kind of doing the bi-coastal thing mm. um which is not as not as fun as as uh you might think um but i mean the, the bottom line is I, we talked about COVID a little bit covid's made it easier to to run you know your businesses out of out of more locations than you know were possible historically and people are taking advantage of that myself included we'll see we'll see i haven't done a winter here yet but oh god yeah that's gonna be that's gonna be a change yeah that'll be a, <laughs> a big change I, like like we're like and i you know i probably have to convert this to celsius for for, for you guys but like uh you know where i live my entire life when it's when it's in the 50s fahrenheit yeah. like yeah. we're like oh it's it's pretty cold like oh <laughs> 
I, like, I, I was just hearing how just a few months ago it was negative 11. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's, that's a different game. That's a huge, huge change of game. Yeah. That's like going from NFL to we'll basketball. See. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Adap- adapt or perish, man. That's that's how this shit works. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 50 Fahrenheit people is 10 degrees Celsius, um, which for here is pretty mild. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, oh, it's 10 degrees Celsius. Wait, T-shirt, come yeah. on, guys, let's all go outside. <laughs> yeah, not, not in Southern California. We're like, oh, turn the fire on. <laughs> <laughs> that's a huge change, though. Why, why East? Why, why do you think about going east? What was the thinking there? So I need to be by major airports. And I also need to be somewhere where my girlfriend, when I'm traveling, has stuff to do. And so her family is from here. Um, and she has friends here. And it's, you know, we're an hour outside of Manhattan. So like, yeah, yeah. that was kind of the, I could have moved, I don't know, to Texas or something. But then it, like, nope, she doesn't know anybody. And I am in self-preservation mode because the last thing you want to do is go, you know, travel for a week and then come home to a, a significant other who's sat in the house for a week, not speaking to anybody, just waiting for you to yeah. come home. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, that, that was, that was how we ended up here. And but in, so far so good. It's, it's been great so far. Yeah. In the U S there's that rivalry, right? Between East and West coast. There's always uh, one or the other, right? You find that a hundred percent, yes. <laughs> but 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 you have to understand, like the rivalries are different depending on um, what the rivalry is. So, like if you're talking about gangster rap, oh. the East Coast versus West Coast is a big goddamn deal. Yeah, yeah. If you're talking about baseball, the Yankees versus the Boston Red Sox is a way bigger deal than yeah. you know, like anything else. And those two cities are right next to each other, so it just kind of depends on on which rivalry you're talking about. But you know, we're we're pretty into rivalries in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, you love it. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of yeah. more going the angle of maybe like where to live. Where's the best lifestyle? Oh, oh. So the, yeah, there definitely is the you know we call the West Coast the best coast. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> the, you know the East Coast people call it California the land of fruits and nuts. You know, you have to be crazy to, to to go live there. So, but here's here's what I found in you know spending. I'm 52. I just turned 52 last week. Um, and spending the first 51 years of my life in Southern California, there are very few natives. And so most of the people are transplants and you get a bunch of people from the East Coast who there's various straws. It could be, you know, technology careers or it could be the weather, whatever it is. Right. And in my experience, what happens is, is the the East Coast people show up in Southern California and within 12 months, there is massive tissue rejection and they throw up their hands and they they say, fuck this place. You guys are all nuts. And they leave. And, or they say, I can't believe it took me this long to get here. I am never leaving. And they, you know, dig foxholes and cement themselves <laughs> into to bunkers. But there's nothing in between. There is literally right. nothing in between those two extremes. And, it ha- and, I, and I've seen it over and over and over again for, you know, 50 years. I've seen this. Um, which makes it, I mean, it's an interesting social phenomenon, right? Like, it is. why yeah, does yeah. that happen? You know, I've been to both, like, let's say New York City and LA, right? I've been to both, but that didn't obviously represent the the counties or the states, right? But I love them both for, for completely different reasons. I could live in either. The Southern California dream with, of the good weather, the beach, a bit more laid back. Yeah, I mean, why, why wouldn't we going to live there? Like, I interviewed someone from uh, San Diego. She said, there's no way I'm moving. Ah. It's, like, it's like paradise. 
It's like, yeah, I can I can see that. But then some from New York were like, well, this is the place to be. I'm like, well, I get it. I mean, and San Diego's awesome unless I don't, unless you want to have things like a job, right? You know? <laughs> right. Okay. You know, they're, they're, all the tech people are up in in you know the Bay Area, and yeah, you know, and and around LA, there's a whole hodgepodge of stuff from from movie studios to um, you know manufacturing. San Diego's done a good job over the last probably ten years of creating sort of a biotech startup kind of environment down there, but yeah. The economy is not as robust as it is elsewhere in, in California, but it's, man, is it a cool city? It's, no, San, I love San Diego. It's yeah, like yeah. Just it's awesome the place to go. Yeah. The thing about San Diego is, is you can pretty much walk everywhere in the city in about 15 minutes. Oh, it's, wow. Okay. It's small. Yeah. Uh, but it has like a, as much of a dynamic downtown area as, as any major city, but it's just small and it's right there on the water. It's, it's great. I live in San Diego in a heartbeat. Okay, and what is like your favorite place to li- like to be on the West Coast? I guess in California. I know you're obviously from somewhere, but where would you love to be based if you could choose anywhere? I mean, it's hard. It's hard to beat like the Newport Beach, Laguna Beach area. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean it, that that is just an awesome environment, you know, for a thousand reasons. And yes, I'm sure I'm biased because I grew up there, but there's a reason that you know houses there cost a hundred million dollars yeah. because it's that desirable of a place to, to, to live. Yeah. I guess if I, if I were to get out of you know, the personal bias piece, like Santa Barbara is pretty dope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good area. Yeah. 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 I mean, and that's, well, and I guess you could make the same argument. That's why, you know, people like Oprah and, yeah. you know, Ellen DeGeneres and stuff all live there because <laughs> no, I wasn't in Northern options. California though. Fuck Northern California. <laughs> what towards Oregon? Why is that? Well, uh, well, Oregon's weird. Oregon's interesting in its own mind, but like back to your rivalries thing. Uh, There's right. a pretty big no- Northern California, Southern California rivalry. It spans <laughs> a lot of dimensions. <laughs> They're pissed that we took all their water. Uh, the course, the yeah. Giants versus the Dodgers is kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, don't, don't show up at a Giants game with the Dodgers <laughs> shirt or you're going to get beat up in the parking lot. You know, <laughs> I, did, I, I did go to the Giants game, actually. In, is that San Fran? San Fran, yeah. Yeah, I saw him oh. against Bryce Harper's team at the time. I can't remember who, who he played for. He signed a massive contract and he was hitting them at the park. Maybe Philly? I might be wrong. But yeah, I, I'm not into baseball, but I'm into basketball. That's my American sport, if you like, and I love it. There's not really a Northern California team, is there, for basketball? Well... We in the Southern California, we would say that that is a true statement. But the the folks who uh, are fans of the Golden State Warriors yeah. and Steph Curry champions would take yeah. umbrage with that statement. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. Or the <laughs> yeah the, the the Sacramento Kings. They would they would. Ah, like, oh, of course. That are you that no deal. one cares about? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, once again, but I, I by the way, I'm not a sports guy. Okay. at all like i'll yeah. go to a game i'll go to any game just because it's fun to go to a game but like yeah. i don't have teams that i follow or whatever but i am fascinated with this idea that like fuck you you're from this other city yeah and that's <laughs> not where my team is from and so therefore i don't like you as a human being kind of thing so it's, weird it's a weird mentality isn't it like uh, uk is the same with football as in soccer right Oh, I, I, yeah, tribal. I would, tribal. It's, it's yeah, just exa- like you show up with the wrong. What do they call it? A scarf or a, a scarf or a uh, jersey? 
a jersey yeah, yeah, yeah. You, show, you know you're gonna get beat up and to, and like you guys could be the best of friends if you met yeah. a pub for a pint of beer but just the mere fact that you happen to live in this other city that is it's just fascinating to me and it's also when you're younger it means something but when you grow older you think oh, it's just bollocks really isn't it like, it doesn't actually mean anything but some people take it really seriously like even when you're you know getting older like they still take it to heart like they've got to go to the game and they've got to like cheer him on and it's just like it's exhausting um i to have follow. a buddy i have a buddy who i will not call out by name or by city here but i showed up at his house recently um i happened to be in his city and he said oh well we're you gonna come over and we're gonna watch the football game and i showed up and i kid you not he was wearing pants a jersey a jacket a secondary jacket, a hat, a scarf, and a COVID mask, all emblazoned <laughs> with the name of his team. <laughs> because the game was on and he was going to watch the game. And we were literally, we, we didn't go anywhere. We were sitting at the house on the couch and he was in costume because that's what you got to do. That is For strange. the record, it was the Philadelphia Eagles. I'll just call it out. Okay, fair enough. Right? <laughs> so. Yeah, strange. I don't get it. I understood it when I was younger. That's a weird thing. Like now, I don't get it. I'm like, it's just there. Uh, Forty miles down the road, we're just the same people, aren't we? We're not like not aliens. Anyway, that's enough about sport. This is a travel podcast. Let's go to a country here and a profession. Says so wine and it's Bhutan. Now I don't know where to start. Is it best to go in wine first, then Bhutan, or Bhutan let's first? Let's go Bhutan first because I Bhutan, think for people yeah. that don't know what Bhutan is, I think like it's it's this thing that you should know about if you are a traveler mm. and you're at all serious about travel. Um, Bhutan, if it's not at the top of your your bucket list, it should be. It's top of mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've had a few episodes on it before where I had some people. Oh come yeah. Oh cool. Yeah, yeah. And they've I've had a tour agency based in Singapore. Um, called Drug okay. Asia. So they've come on to talk about it and they released a book in, in lockdown. And I had a few other people who talk about Bhutan and they all say the same thing. Amazing country. It's like a throwback to the old days of traveling and you've got to go. I don't know how many countries I've been to, um, but it's, I mean, I've been to every continent and I've been to lots of countries and yeah. Bhutan has been the most life-changing um, of any place I've ever been. Yeah. And and so, you know, if, if you buy into this idea that the reason that you travel is to change who you are as a person and expand who you are as a person, the most profound uh, experience I've ever had in that nature has been from Bhutan. So why is that, do you think? I think it's so I'll give you another example. So I went to um, run a race on the Union Glacier in Antarctica, which is way deep in the middle of the country, kind of just north of the South Pole. And when you get there, the whole place crackles with this like foreign energy and the sun doesn't go down and it just goes around in a little circle above you. And there's this, there's this environmental thing with just this powerful ice this you're literally sleeping on a river of ice that's moving and it's the side it's 12 miles it's just this incredible thing right mm. so from a nature perspective you have this incredible thing but there's no social aspects to it there's nothing yeah. else there's just that um and then i think you go to other places where there's incredible social things going on um but you know it's it's there's not nature and i think bhutan has this odd really unique combination of 
some of the most brilliant natural spectacles in the world, mm. this social dynamic, um, you know, based on gross national happiness, the in the Buddhist influence, uh, there's just a lot of, uh, you know, if you, I don't know what then diagram you would draw, but there's a lot of <laughs> convergence of different interesting shit that happens in Bhutan. It doesn't, in my opinion, I don't think it happens anywhere else. Okay. Right. And also did that happen when you first went there? Like when you first yeah. landed, that was the boom. That was like, yeah, Maybe it was a like a bit, bit of a moment. Yeah, a bit of a moment. And, and it still happens to me to this day. I've been to Bhutan I, countless times. Um, mm. But when you land at Paro Airport, you come down the stairs because there's no jetway. <laughs> You're going downstairs. But when you when I come down the stairs, it just this energy hits you. And it's this really powerful energy that is serene, if that makes sense. <laughs> okay. Berlin, if anyone's ever been to Berlin, you walk into Berlin and there's this really powerful energy that hits you, but it's like, oh, there's some edgy shit going on here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now we're on. But in Bhutan, it's like that, but it's like, it's like, cool, you're safe here. Now you can take a breath and just and just be. And it's it's just awesome. And I, you know, every time I have the same experience when I land there, it's great. It's, it's weird because you, you just described that, and I've got um, pimples on my arms. <laughs> you describing <laughs> what Bhutan's like. It is it's so far number one on my list. Like no, nowhere comes close. And I'm trying to organise a trip at the minute uh, for October, but they just changed their COVID rules. I think, but it's not clear. They, oh, what's going um, on. Just yeah, day before yesterday, actually. When was the first time you went there? The first time I think was in around 2016 ish. Oh, okay, quite quite recent then. That's yeah, it. fairly recently. Yeah. And I went there by accident, actually. Okay. Um, my my girlfriend had read a book about Bhutan, about this woman who moved to Bhutan and fell in love and stayed there. And so she had developed this affinity for Bhutan. And so I heard about Bhutan quite a bit. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know what it was, nor did I give a shit, actually. Like, <laughs> I wasn't like I was like doing research on it. But I had been on a bunch of these adventure race distribution lists and um, one of them was organizing a trip to go to Bhutan to, for the first foreigners to run a marathon there. Oh, okay. And so yeah. I ended up on this email list that said, I got an email that said Mar Bhutan marathon. And I was like, cool. I, what's this? And uh, it was like, we're organizing this. We're taking 10 people. If you want to go, you know, click this link and let me know. And, and so I did it and we got selected and I went to my girlfriend. I was like, surprise, I'm taking you to Bhutan. And she's <laughs> like, awesome. We're going to the Himalayas. And I go, no, we're not. Bhutan's in Indonesia. And she goes, oh, no, it isn't. I looked it up. I looked it up and I was like, oh, shit, it is in the Himalayas. <laughs> I just signed us up to run a marathon. And that would Himalayas. Yeah. So that's how I ended up in Bhutan the first time. It wasn't like I even knew about it or tried to. It was a combination of girlfriend and running. Right. And it's interesting because you have to do a tour, right? That's the rule. Official rule. Um, I, it, for, yeah, essentially, if you're a tourist and you're going to go to Bhutan, you need to book it through licensed accredited travel agency. And then yep. when you're there, you have to have a driver and a guide. Yeah. But you don't necessarily have to follow like a specific prearranged tour. Mm you can sort of dictate what you want to do when you're there, but you have to book it 
through a travel agency. And so of course they have like a bunch of these prepackaged things yeah. so that they don't have yeah. to reinvent the wheel every time. And most people want to climb tiger's nest. They want to yeah. see the golden Buddha. They want to go to Timpu. They want to maybe check out the Punaka Valley. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a lot of the same stuff anyway. You don't have to follow a set tour. Got it. And who was the tour company that you went with like back in the early days? I booked it through the marathon company. Okay. And yeah. So and the they, marathon company yeah. had booked it through that. So I ended up the first time I went, I didn't deal with the tour operator. I dealt with the marathon company who was hand, handling the whole, because there were people coming in from all over the world to, yeah. to, to do this race. Um, and so they just coordinate everything. It was, there's a handful of big, like my Bhutan is a big one. That's kind of run by an American guy. And then there's this other one blue. And I think they're the biggest. Okay. Um, and then there's a, a whole host of smaller ones. And yeah, I think the, the guys from truck Asia are the official airline, uh, operator. They're the, the Royal operator, if you like, um, they're based yeah, in Singapore. So, so- yeah, so Druck, there's two airlines. There's uh, Bhutan Air and Druck Air. Yeah. Um, and, and so Druck Air is kind of the the national airline. And then Bhutan Air is like a private capitalistic yeah. airline. Um, I actually know the Druck Air people. I actually just chose, um, they wanted to upgrade their wine selection. And oh. <laughs> so I, I just went to Pro Wine in Germany just to, to select uh, a new wine, to build a new wine program for them. So if, if you end up going... Uh, in the next few months, you might actually be drinking wine on Druck Air that I personally hand selected <laughs> in Dusseldorf, Germany, for the coach and the first class seats on Druck Air. I've been looking at this quite a lot actually because it's not as simple as turning up, is that you do have to go through some certain hoops, but I guess it is worth it. And it's also quite yeah, nice. It's part of their model, isn't it? It's part of their tourism model. Yeah. And don't underestimate the visa requirements. Like it takes a little bit of time. So, um, okay. If you're working with a significant operator, if you're, if you're working with the Drew Care guys, you're golden, you're fine. Yeah. Uh, but anyone else who's trying to go, just yeah, that it's not a sort of spur of the moment, spontaneous. Hey, let's jet over to Bhutan. It doesn't work like that. Okay. I know the marathon was a big thing, but was there like other parts of Bhutan that was in there to see and do as well? But this is maybe a more complicated answer than you were looking for. But okay. there's 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 dimensions to it. So there's one dimension that says like. I believe that the universe brings me to where I'm supposed to be at the time I'm supposed to be there, even if I'm too dumb to see it. And so if I try to over control it, yeah. uh, I, I don't end up in the right spots. So that's one thing. Okay. The second thing is I'm busy and I, I don't want to do a bunch of research unless it's something I'm personally, passionately interested in, which Bhutan yeah. was not. <laughs> yeah. I was only going there because Indonesia, my girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't even know yeah. what continent it was in. Um, <laughs> like, that's how interested I was. Um, and then the, the third thing is the first time I went there was, you know, as part of this thing where we were going there to run this marathon. And yeah, there was some ancillary stuff around it, but like I was very focused on, I mean, I live at sea level. Like I wasn't yeah, sure yeah, how yeah. my body was going to perform. So I was really worried about that. So the first time I went there, I kind of didn't like, they were like, oh, do you want to go do this hike up to Tiger's Nest? I'm like, what's Tiger's Nest? And they're mm-hmm. like, you don't know what Tiger's Nest is? And I go, I don't know. Is it a restaurant? <laughs> and they're like, it's the most famous monastery in the Buddhist religion. And it's up on the side of the cliff. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, I've seen pictures of that thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we should Google, go yeah. do that. That sounds cool. Let's go do that. See, I definitely was un I, unprepared is not the right word, but I was I, I was trying to manage but, it. Yeah, um, yeah. It's gonna turn up and yeah, but I think Bhutan's the kind of place like 
Like there was one day, one time I was in Bhutan and we just happened to have a free day. And I was like, well, what's cool to see around here? You know, we're in sort of a rural area and they're like, I don't know. You want to go whitewater rafting down some Himalayan rivers? And I was like, fuck yeah, I want to go whitewater rafting down some Himalayan rivers. And so we're, we're like, like the next morning we jumped out and grabbed some dudes and like jammed down this, uh, this river. And, and I, and like, I never would have thought to do that. I never yeah. would have prepared to do that. It happened to be near where I was and we had some free time and it was this amazing experience, but this is, comes back to my whole philosophy of like, that's what the, that's where the universe put me. <laughs> and then it offered this opportunity. Would you like to do this? And then it was my job to say, absolutely. I'm a hundred percent in. And then we had this amazing experience. So like I had another time, another similar experience where kind of a very similar situation. And I was like, I don't know. Uh, can I ride motorcycles in the Himalayas? And they're like, they're like, no, you can't uh, ride motorcycles in the Himalayas. And I go, oh, okay. Cause like, I'm a motorcycle guy. Like that would have been really yeah. cool. And the, the person I was talking to was like, my friend has motorcycles. I'll set it up for you tomorrow. So I got the motorcycle off. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, like, how did people can say they've done that? That's awesome. It does ring true because when I was speaking to the guys in Drug Asia, they said the same thing as you. Like, yeah, you book through them. So they get the visa done. You have your nights, 10 nights. You pay your daily fee, whatever it is. But then they literally went, well, we then tell you it's what you want to do. So I was like, oh, can I, can I do a couple of podcast episodes with some locals? They're like, yeah, we'll set up for you. I'm like, oh, that's great. And like, yeah, you can go do a two day hike. Like it is, it can be as on the whim as you want it to be. Yeah. Here's a funny story about the first time I was in Bhutan. <laughs> so, um, so we have our driver and we have our guide. And so I show up and they, there's like 10 guides and they ask you to pick your guide. All right. And everyone's, wear, everyone's wearing their ceremonial Bhutanese go. Yeah. Um, but one of the guides is wearing a, uh, a Bhutanese go and a New York Yankees hat. And I go, I want that guy <laughs> strictly because I figured he's probably a little more Westernized and yeah. I can probably communicate with him more effectively. It turns out everybody speaks English and it wasn't an issue, but I didn't okay. know that. So I get our guy, his name's Tashi. He ends up being really cool. And so one night we have a free night and I go, Hey, Tashi, I want to, I want to go to a bar. And he goes, what do you mean? And I go, you have bars here, right? He goes, of course we have bars. And I go, I want to go hang out at like a Bhutanese bar. Yeah. And he goes, no problem. So we get in the car and we drive to this Bhutanese bar and we're sitting there and we're sipping Bhutanese beer and sitting in the Bhutanese bar. And I am clearly aware that this bar is a tourist bar that is for Westerners. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're sitting there and I'm drinking this beer and I go, and Tashi's in there with us. And I go, Tashi, I go, if you were not working tonight and you were going to a bar, would you come to this bar? And he goes, absolutely not. <laughs> and I go, well, why not? And he goes, Oh, this is a Western bar. And I go, so if you weren't working tonight, where would you be? And he goes, well, if tonight specifically, I'd be at my sister's place. She actually owns a bar and it's her husband's birthday and they're throwing a big party there. And the second I can get rid of you guys, I'm going to that party. And I go, okay, dude, we're not communicating very well. Yeah. I want that experience. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Let's do that. And he goes, would you seriously, would you come to that? And I go, oh my God, yes, I would go to that let's get the hell out of here. And so we went, my girlfriend was very nonplussed, but we ended up in this like, like kind of uh, total dive bar, Bhutanese bar. And I was doing 
Bootney's karaoke with the locals. Bound <laughs> and, and Bootney. It was awesome. That's what you want. That is exactly what I wanted. But I yeah. can see how, like, the vast majority of the people that come through, they're like, okay, here, give me my sort of quasi Western experience mm. in this foreign country, and it'll be, it'll have a Bhutanese flair and it'll be fine. And I've actually been back to that bar, that the original bar, uh, a number of times since then. And it, it's fine. It's cool. It's fine. But it's not this sort of impactful Bhutanese experience that I was hoping it would be. That's good to know because I'd love to push my guide to that sort of uh, experience. So, yeah, yeah. so my, my advice, just ask him. I, yeah, I think yeah. like my experience there is people are like, oh God, yeah. Like the vast majority of people coming through there are doing this cookie cutter thing. Yeah. Uh, and I think they get stoked when people are like, no, 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 no. I want to do something that's a little bit, a little bit different. I mean, I was yeah. talking to our one guy and I was like, how, how many times have you climbed tiger's nest? And he goes, oh, I don't know, a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> I go, so is it like, is it still interesting to you? He goes, no, it's still like, it's a great workout. I, I, you know, I love like the spirituality of the place. And I'm sure if you lived by Notre Dame Cathedral and you went to mass at Notre Dame Cathedral and you had been to mass there a hundred times, it would still be cool. Mm. It just wouldn't be as cool as the first time you went to mass at Notre Dame Cathedral. That's the same as traveling, isn't it? Like going somewhere new. I know you go back to Bhutan because obviously it's a special place, but a lot of people don't like going back to the same place. Yeah, I can see why people would want to go, go for that like one-off experience. And yeah, that, that guide, he must get it all the time. You can't understand yeah. why though, because it's an amazing place to go. Everyone, everyone's seen it on Google. They want to go there. Exactly. I want to go there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I'm sure. I bet you Google Tiger's Nest. I bet you've checked out the Golden Buddha. I bet yeah, yeah, yeah. All out, that. Yeah, yeah. You know the the Punaka Zong, like right yes. on the edge oh, of the river. Unreal. Yeah. We actually put that. Um, I had a stylized. Uh, pen and ink drawing of that was our first wine label that we did was the Punaka. Oh, wine. wow. That's awesome. And then I did, and then I did a very um, French chateau. I made it look kind of like a French chateau, but, but a Bhutanese song and I did a very French style label for it. It was cool. That's awesome. So from that whole bit there, basically what you're saying is if you ask, you can pretty much, you can do what you want to do. Bar from the obvious, like if you want to go to a dive bar possible, if I, wanna, if I want to interview someone, maybe in a tourism ministry, maybe possible, you know, like to talk to the podcast. Yeah. Okay. That's good yep. to know for people. Yeah. Yep. hundred percent. My experience with the Bhutanese is they've got this really cool country that's different. It's this unique and this unique thing and they love showing it off. It's kind of like if you've ever been to a car show and there's this dude that's got like the 1965 AMC, whatever car that nobody else has, but it's perfectly restored. And they're like, and mo some people walk by it and they're like, I don't care what that is. But the person that looks at me goes, oh my God, can I look at this thing? And they're like, what do you want to see? You want to see the trunk? You want to see underneath? You're like, dude, come check this out. We think this is bitching. Um, so they they are all in on like, check, check out what we've got. Like mm. you tell us, like, if you don't tell us, we're going to take you on this path. But if you do, like, Go wherever you want. Like, we'll take you wherever. That's, that's like an open book, isn't it? It's amazing. Like, it it's almost awesome. sounds like nothing's really off the cards. Obviously, there's some extreme stuff that is. But, like, within reason, if I, if I want to go and, I don't know, maybe watch a soccer match, I'm sure it's possible. I'm sure there's one dude, going on somewhere. Dude. Yeah, mental. Okay, here's another Bhutanese story. So, the main sport in Bhutan is archery. Archery, yeah. 
uh, like on, on Sundays, if you drive by, there's these archery ranges and, and everyone goes out and they basically, it's like playing horseshoes on a really long field. One team stands at one end and they fire at a post and the other team stands at the other end and they fire back at that post. And it just seems like the kind of shit you would need a lot of waivers for in the United States. <laughs> 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 so, so I go, Hey, can we stop at one of these things? And they're like, but you want to see an Absolutely. So we like go, we like, literally we walk right down there and I'm talking to the dudes that are like shooting arrows and I go, and I, I will never repeat this, but, but I was like, um, do you mind if I try? It's like, you want to try it? I'm like, is that, is that allowed? He goes, yeah. And so they like, they like cleared the people at the other end and they're like, all right, here you go. They showed me how to do it. And I'm like, like wang, and I shot an arrow. And, uh, so, Unreal. Unreal. Yeah. Now, my guess is, so th this was actually a little later on in my Bhutanese um, experience where I had a little bit more clout with the authority. So I'm, I don't know that they let just random yeah, people yeah. Like, trolling down the sidewalk. <laughs> hey, you want to shoot some arrows? Yeah, go for it. But, uh, but it was, yeah, it was awesome. Um, like they are truly, they're like, they're surprised that anyone's interested in the stuff that they're interested in. But when you are, they're like, wow, um, we want to share this with you. Yeah, that I'd be, I'd be so intrigued just to see all the things that I'm interested in there. Here's another pro tip on Bhutan. Yeah. A lot of people will be happy to have you to their home for dinner. If you ask. Okay. Um, and that's a cool experience. Yeah. If you end up going anywhere near someone's home, you should ask them for some of their aura. Okay. And aura is the traditional rice wine of Bhutan. And every, every family makes their own secret recipe. Oh, wow. And they would, and they all argue about whose is better. Mm. And it's considered tradition. When you show up at someone's house, uh, they will give you a bowl of their aura. And then you take it and you're like, oh, this is really, really good. But hey, I brought some of my own, which is way better than your shitty aura. <laughs> Why don't you try some of this? And, and like they bond and they have this community experience. So I found out about this. And I was like, the first time I went to someone's house, I was like, hey, can we do this? And they're like, yeah, you want to do this? I'm like, of course I want to do this. <laughs> Um, and so now I do it every time I go to someone's house in, in Bhutan, you know, I, I, I the, that's the first question I ask, but thank you for having me to your beautiful home. This is amazing. I, I feel so honored. Would, would you be willing to share some of your R with me? And it's the second you say that they're like, wait, you want to try my shit? <laughs> Hold on. I'll be right back. Let me go get that. And they run out and they grab it and they come back and they're like, and then. And then you have this like real authentic experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you can get to someone's house, yeah. absolutely do it. And when you get there, ask them for some of their aura. That's unbelievable. All the things you're saying is exactly what I want to experience there. And it's, it's pretty, pretty cool to hear. I'm going to obviously now go into wine. So where did the wine component come for you? What was the thinking about maybe some the wine company there? Is there something that triggered in your mind? Is there like a gap in the market there that you saw? Like what was the thinking there? Well, I was, I wanted to come up with the most unrealistic idea for a company as far away from my home as possible in a place where, no, that wasn't quite how it happened. <laughs> so I'm studying for, to become what's called a master of wine. Um, there's about 420 in the world. There's about 60 in the U S it's okay. the highest credential that you can get in the wine world. And I've spent years of my life doing this. As part of that, I had been to pretty much every major global wine region to study the wine there. Yeah. And when I first got to Bhutan, it just looked like a global wine region. Like okay. I was like, so I, I assumed mistakenly 
that there was wine there. And so I kept asking everybody like, Hey, where's the wineries? I want to make sure I visit them before I go, you know, take me to the karaoke bar and then let's go to the wineries. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we don't have any. And so I'm like, that's odd. So I ended up at this dinner with these government folks. I said, once again, do you guys have wineries? They said, no. And I was like, you guys are messing up because this place is perfect for wine. Mm-hmm. And I, I know this because I'm a global wine expert. And so I, here's 10 reasons why I would tell you this place is perfect for wine. I had no intention of starting a wine business there. I thought it would be cool if they did it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and so uh, that led to a conversation, which led to another conversation, which, uh, you know, I'm I'm consolidating a few years of work here, but um, eventually the the country said, this idea aligns with a lot of our core values um, and we desperately want to do it and we would love to partner with you to do it. Wow. And, and I kind of looked at it and said, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, nobody gets to invent a wine industry for a country. The last dude that got to do that was in New Zealand in the 1800s. That was yeah. the last guy. This shit doesn't happen. And this is maybe the last opportunity to do it. Like everywhere that can grow wine pretty much does and has. And so I was like, wait, are you serious? You want to do this with me? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm all in. Yeah, let's go. (laughs) No. Um, So yeah, that's kind of how it started. It wasn't through this. I was looking at Earth and like figuring out where the best place to start a winery. No, it was just me once again the universe put me there to run a marathon Mm. and then it put me at the dinner with the right people and i was passionate enough to say hey i believe this is important and you guys should think about it and and then next thing you know i'm planting merlot at nine thousand feet you know in (laughs) utapang you know so you go you go from that saying i'm all in so how long has that taken from that to get the the vineyard ready and up and running so we have so this hasn't been done before um And so there's no data on what grapes will grow or where the grapes will grow. There's not even good weather data outside of the major cities. And so we have, we planted eight vineyards um, at various altitudes from 1500 feet up to about 9,000 feet on the east side of the country, on the west side of the country. And then I planted 14 different varieties of grapes at all of the sites yeah um to see what would work well and so i'm five years in on six of the vineyards and i'm three years in on two of the vineyards we will make our first fully bhutanese wine next year next summer we'll make the okay. first one that is full, truly sourced 100 from bhutanese grapes yeah i did make a uh another wine i was telling you about my little cool wine label but i didn't use bhutanese grapes because we didn't have any yet we were trying to figure it out we're learning about all the different challenges from rainfall the birds the monkeys the beetles to caterpillars to wasps i have a a wasp issue right now (laughs) in my opinion (laughs) and so i'm like I, I literally this morning we were like texting with our viticultural expert who's based in here in the states and they were like okay, we got some wasp problems. Like, what do we do? And we don't have answers yet, but. Okay. Wow. 
And what's, what's ironic is there's this trend towards, I'm going to go geeky wine stuff for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. But, um, there's this idea of the, the sort of the environment around a vineyard that is self-sustaining. And so you have beneficial predators and mm. you have some olive trees and you use the olive skins to fertilize the grapes and you use the chickens in the vineyards to keep the beetles off, but the chickens shit out chicken shit, which adds nitrogen to the soil, And you build like this whole ecosystem around it. Yeah. Well, part of that is like you want wasps in the vineyards because the egg wasp attacks a certain type of predator, a certain type of insect that carries diseases. So like most of the vineyards, particularly in the U S like the science on it is like how to attract egg wasps. And I'm like, I don't have egg wasps. I have fucking Bhutanese wasps. (laughs) They're scary. And they're attacking my grapes, not the, not the insects. So I need a solution for that. And not only do I need a solution for that, I need a solution for that in a country that is Buddhist and I can't kill anything. Oh yeah. Run through spraying like wasp killer. (laughs) Like I need to find an answer to this. Um, What is the answer? I don't know. Like this is literally going on as we speak. I was having this conversation today about this. Um, So we don't know, right? But the goal for me is like, I don't need every vineyard to work and I don't need Mm. every grape to work within every vineyard. What I need to find is trying to shortcut, you know, a thousand years of of horticultural evolution that occurred in like France back in the, you know, the middle ages when the monks were going out, well, we're, let's, let's not plant this vine. Let's move it over six inches and study it for another hundred years. I don't have that kind of time. Right. So I'm like, Let's throw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall and try to figure out which of these look more likely to flourish and then continue to double down. And this has been a really interesting data year for us in the sense of figuring that out. And next year, you know, the plan is we'll produce our first vintage for all of the traveling listeners um, that are hopefully going to go to Bhutan after they hear this episode and be so inspired. Yeah. Like you're more than welcome to come visit our, any of our vineyards and our tasting room should be open uh, probably about a year from now. Um, yeah. So depending on when you come, you'll be able to maybe taste some wow. of the very first Bhutanese wine ever made, which is an interesting concept, right? Think about like, if you could taste the first vintage of Australian wine ever. Yeah. How cool is that? I, I, whether or not it's good or not, it's like you had the first. Doesn't time. matter. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, you were a part, you were part of history. It's so, yeah. It's so rare to hear a story and an idea and an actual realistic thing where it is, part of history like you are yeah the first person in bhutan to give us a go and there's no like i say no data you are going in almost blind you know obviously about wine itself because you studied it but yeah the, the environment the the, the eco uh, structure there like it's all new it's a, it's quite incredible yeah and, and what's crazy is is it's it's not only new to to bhutan the shit that we're dealing with like the monkey issue is a good one okay. like you know how many vineyards in France have a monkey problem? Not no. very fucking many. Yeah. <laughs> not too many in Napa, California have a monkey <laughs> yeah. problem. Not a lot of not a lot of scientific evidence on how to manage monkeys <laughs> in vineyard areas. And Bhutan has monkeys and the monkeys are a problem in in like cuz Bhutan grows some of the world's best crops in obscure verticals like cardamom and red rice mm. and mandarin oranges. 
And so when the monkeys find like a mandarin orange bin, uh, orchard, like it's a big deal. And they kind of, they tear it apart. So they haven't found the vineyards yet, but monkeys are smart. <laughs> and I know they're going to stumble on a vineyard and they're going <laughs> to probably check it out and be like, huh, what are these little red things? Hey, hey, Joe, you try one. See if it kills you. That tastes pretty good. Tell all the monkey friends and all the monkey friends run in and pretty soon, you know, your your vineyard's stripped. There's not a monkey spray. <laughs> spray for monkeys. Like I can't kill the monkeys. I can't spray. Them. Like, what do you do about the monkey problem? And so yeah. I was like yeah. emailing like vineyards around the world going, does anybody have a monkey problem? <laughs> Any solutions? And everyone's like, nope. Uh, and then I found, I found one, I found one in South Africa that okay. she goes, yeah, we have a baboon problem. Like, yeah. Okay. Like what do you do about it? Yeah. And she's like, we just shoot them with paintballs. Right. And I go, does it work? And she goes, yeah, they leave. And they come back a couple of days later and we shoot them again. And we just keep shooting them with paintballs. And it, it deters them. <laughs> yeah, but I come you can't back. Have that. I can't be that. That's my pest management yeah, solution. Yeah. You point. You point someone to do that. Just like violence and paintball. Like, so I mean, it's it's this it's like honest to God, James. If I had known truly what this was going to require in terms of. Like it's it's one thing to say, hey, dude, you want to be the guy who gets to paint this palette on a blank slate, of, a blank mm. sheet of paper? You're like, oh yeah, that's cool. And they're like, all right, you got to find the paint, you got to make your own paint, you got to make your own paint brushes. By the way, you're gonna have to do it in the rain. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I don't know that I would have signed up to do it. Um, right. It's it's been awesome. Like it's been this like life changing, amazing experience, but. Yeah. Had I truly known how much work it was going to be, I would have had maybe more, the longer think about it. I think that's the case where most things are new, right? Whatever you set up, like podcast, for example, if I if I knew now, like from what I know now, back to when I started it, would I have carried it on? I probably would, but like, oh, it's a lot of work. But hey, I'm in it now, so let's just carry on. Right, well, yeah, you're like, of course, yeah, I want to have Deep a cool in. travel podcast. Yeah. I'll, I'll go places and... I'll have a cool tax write-off every time I take a trip. It's going to be amazing. You're yeah, like, yeah. No, it turns out it's a lot of hard fucking work. And, uh, yeah. And, and you're some, like, some days people don't listen. Like, oh. but anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all part of the journey, isn't it? So I, I, I fully commend you for doing that. And the, the, the only experience I've got in vineyards, I did work in a vineyard actually in Australia, in Western Australia, in Margaret River. I worked. Oh, no shit. Yeah, I worked at Devil's Lair, if you know Devil's Lair. And I worked at House of Cards, a little vineyard in Margaret River. There's a few down there that I've done some, I don't know, about three months worth of work, like picking up grapes and driving tractors and putting netting on, on the vineyards because the birds attack it, right? So, Yeah, because um, Margaret River is right there on the coast and they get a lot of the, the, the bird influence from the coast. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember untying some netting once and then there's, there's a huntsman spider like wedged in it and it almost threw up, like coming to my face. That was a pretty scary experience. <laughs> but uh, they don't poison, so that's all right, but they're bloody big. Yeah. I hadn't uh, thought about the Bootney spider problem, but thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go for the animals, but I thought, now I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so, tell, so I have like this, this WhatsApp chat group where these guys, the, all the vineyard managers are always texting me updates every, pretty much every day. So a while back, I get this, this picture and it's got this, this like neon green thing that looks like a, a alien caterpillar. That's probably as long as my index finger. And it's as big around as my thumb <laughs> and it's attached to the grapevine. 
and it's eaten away. <laughs> so I get this, I wake up in the morning to here's my, you know, daily WhatsApp update. Like, here you go. What is this? And I go, dude, it's your fucking country. Like, I, have never, I don't know what that is. Like, I've never seen anything like that before. It looks terrifying. And he goes, yeah, we, we've never seen anything like it before either. What, what should we do about it? And I'm like, well, once again, I'm, I'm 12,000 miles away. Like, can you flick it off? Like, hit it with a stick? like don't kill it. Like, like, let's figure it out. And, and I go, have you really not ever seen this before? And he goes, no, no, we've never seen this before. It's a new caterpillar to us. So like, great. That could be creating new ecosystems for, for new things to thrive. So maybe I'll get, maybe I'll get spiders next. Well, that could be a new animal that no one's ever named. So if you if you submit that to I don't know I don't know who the scientists are who agree if that's new, but like that could be a animal that you've found that's not found Jurgen's, anywhere else. Jurgen's Winicus. <laughs> yeah, Jurgen's Jurgen's Winicus. I you know I lo- I love the positive spin on that. Like for me, I didn't even think about that. I was like that fucker's eating my vines and it is terrifying looking and we need to solve for it. I didn't think about, no, stick that thing in a jar, mail it over here. Let's, let's. Mate, that, let's that, was, the, that was the first thing that comes to my mind. It's like, that could be a new animal that you, you, you found in history. Again, history book done. You found a new animal. Don't know. Yeah. That's, what I, that's what first came to my mind. Well, I'm going to, literally, I'm going to text them tomorrow and see if they still have any. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's probably infestation. Yeah, you still those green things? <laughs> yeah. like, can you mail me one? <laughs> Unbelievable. But yeah, if like yeah. If, if, especially if you get over there, if you want to come tour some vineyards, we won't have wine yet. But uh, yeah, come. Oh come yeah, on. we will. Yeah, because funny enough, you say that's not the same, but we, we were going to do some tours of the breweries there because they've got some breweries, right? So um, vineyards <laughs> well, so, will be on the cards. All right, so I, I will tell you, um, if you want to do business in the Kingdom of Bhutan um, as a foreign company, you can't. You need a Bhutanese citizen as a partner so i have two bootney citizens as the partner of my winery yeah um one of them uh owns one of the four microbreweries in bhutan and there are two microbreweries there's one on the road from paro the airport to timpu mm-hmm. and then there's one on the road from timpu to um punaka um my partner owns Serboom, which is on the road from timpu to punaka and there's a vineyard planted at the brewery uh, so if you're going to do some brewery tours, go to Serboom. I'll introduce you to Karma. I'll take good care of you. can check out the, 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 the wines while you're, <laughs> vines while you're there. You can record a podcast if you want to. Oh, this is a dream. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is, that is the, the simplest ask of all time. Brilliant. That is uh that's on the list. It's done. Yeah. 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 This but is unreal. We'll offline and coordinate around that. But yeah. Yeah. Anyone <laughs> else who wants to go to Bhutan, like if you're there and you want to go to a microbrewery, Go to Serboom because you'll also get the chance to see a vineyard while you're there. Yeah. And it's one of the highest vineyards in the world, actually. Oh, wow. That, yeah. Okay. That particular vineyard is at about 9,000 feet. And there's probably only, I would guess, 10 or 15 vineyards that are higher than that in the world. What countries are they being? Um, so, like so South America one, or? Yeah. One is in um, Tibet, actually. Tibet. Oh, has yeah. Tibet. Vineyard that's a little bit higher. Oh, wow. And they actually have two that are yeah. both slightly higher. And then. Argentina mm. is where the other high altitude ones are. And the highest one is, is in um, Salta. People argue about this, by the way, like who's is higher. And I'm like, we have, 
GPS shit that can tell you yeah. pretty much to the foot, like who's yeah. bigger. So it's, it's not a debate thing. The highest one in Salta, I think is about 10,800 feet. So it's slightly higher than where, where you'd be mm. at at Cerebum. That's that's northern that's northern Argentina, isn't it? Because I've been there. So, oh, you've been to Salta? Yeah, unbelievably. Yeah, yeah. Well, shit. That, I mean, that's an odd place to have randomly been. I've not heard many people have been there. Yeah, <laughs> I have not been there, and I'm oh, you not. <laughs> and not only am I a white guy, I have high altitude vineyards. Like, yeah, I want to go to Salta to see what they're doing. It's a lovely little place. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, get the cable car up to the mountain, overlook the town. Had, had, yeah. the, had the best steak and wine there. That's unbelievable, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I, the wine there is fantastic. Mostly Malbec. Um, yeah. Malbec grows great at, at those altitudes. and Yeah, steak was unbelievable, of course. Argentinian steak and all that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely could. If I wanted to have as a curiosity the highest vineyard in the world, it would be very easy for me to do that because I have an altitude range that goes from about 500 feet in the south to... 27,000 feet in the north and that distance is about 300 miles it's it's a pretty small country yeah 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 um but it would just it would be a vanity thing and like i'm not yeah i'm more interested in making the coolest wine possible than having the coolest marketing ploy possible well that's my next question is that going forward you want to make obviously the best wine and obviously distribute it out to locals but also Externally, right for the for Bhutan's government, I guess. So is that our, our business model is is a hundred percent export. Oh, is it moment. okay? Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, part of the thing about about Bhutan is so Bhutan has this; they're globally revered for sustainable agriculture. Everyone, I mean, it's a carbon negative country. Yeah, and they're yeah, on yeah. track to be a hundred percent organic. Like, wow, other countries go to Bhutan to figure out how to do organic farming correctly. Yeah. And so, but the crops that they make are more commoditized, like red rice. And so they're just never going to have a a premium on them. And so one of the things that they would love to do, not that I speak for the country, but my perception of what they want to do is they want to create higher value product, agricultural products that demonstrate a sense of the beauty of Bhutan that they can export under brand Bhutan that people will get to experience and what better product for that than wine. Yeah. 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 Uh, you're like, you're never going to call your friends and go, dude, I just got this $50 bag of red rice. I'm going to have a rice party at my house. Like <laughs> come over and try this with me. But you might, if you had like the first bottle of Bootney's Cabernet, right? The opportunity is huge. It's huge. Uh, it, it could really like, yeah, it could take off. <laughs> uh, the other thing, the other thing is, it, yeah. You know, there's so much subsistence farming there that, but you think about like, if you're growing rice, you're growing it on patties mm. on a slope for the most part. And that the, the hills between the slopes are not used, but grapes love slopes. Mm. Yeah. So we could, we could fill in a lot of the white space and, and, and give these subsistence farmers more stuff to grow. That was also higher value that also had the sense of place that all and this is i think one of the reasons why the country is so supportive of what we're trying to do and i'm not and i'm not trying to to say like hey let's go let's go knock down a mountain and plant some oaky cabernet and just fucking starbucks you know yeah but you know i'm trying to like let's capture this in a bottle whatever it is and i don't know what it is nobody knows mm. it might yeah. suck for all i know I <laughs> yeah it could do yeah <laughs> like <laughs> But like I'm trying to capture that and then bring it to the world uh, and, and and showcase it. It's, <laughs> I mean, if I can pull it off, 
Unreal. <laughs> and I, I think I'm convinced, I am 100% convinced that this will occur. The, the issue for us is not the potential. The issue is the timeline. You right. know, it took, it took 50 years for Napa to figure out how to do it. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. took about 30 years for New Zealand to figure out how to do it. It took 10 years for China to figure out how to do it. And they quite, they haven't quite figured it out yet. China has a lot more money and people than I have in my little wine company. Yeah. <laughs> But I have a lot of really smart people who are really interested in this project because it's like, there's nothing like it. And there may yeah, not yeah. be anything like it ever again in the world because yeah. every place that can grow wine does. Yeah. So yeah, here's yeah. this like this Petri dish uh, and everyone wants to help, which has been awesome. So I, I have a lot of help, but I, I truly think, um, you know, we could be in a situation just given the diversity of the country and the, the altitudes and the soils and the climates, you know, this might be, it, it might take us 50 years to dial it and I might be, you know, not here to see it, but um, maybe but they'll the, put a plaque up for me somewhere. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll make maybe. sure. Yeah, I'll make sure a bit of plaque up there for you. <laughs> Mike, helped, Mike helped get this started. Now it's this thing that the world gets to enjoy. <laughs> yeah, it's so rare. Who Who can say that they have started something like in modern day age because everything's been done almost right there's all, yeah there's new technology but like something as raw as this i can't think of anything or well anyone that I, I, know. Mean, I suppose i could be the uber douchebag or the we work douchebag or the, you know <laughs> yeah. one of those guys but yeah. that that to me holds like nobody's passionate about taxi rides no they're a glorified taxi company that's all it is right? <laughs> and once again, back to my red rice example, you're never going to call all your friends and say, come over to my house. Yeah. I found a new taxi service and we're all going to take a taxi together. <laughs> yeah. like you would, you would, but it, I guarantee you, if you had a bottle of Bootney's Chardonnay from the very first vintage of Bootney's Chardonnay ever, mm. would you take that to your house? And even if you're not a Chardonnay drinker, you wouldn't take that home and like uncork it and drink it in the corner by yourself. You'd call friends and say, come celebrate. over. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, maybe not celebrate, but have this experience with me. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I want to share this experience. And I think that's what wine is. It's this kind of joyful community-based experience that hopefully I'm, I'm able to put a Bhutanese stamp on and, and, uh, and also give people who go to Bhutan that the chance to have that kind of Napa style experience in Bhutan, but with a Bhutan flair. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, one of our big vineyards that we have on the east is is planted on this this slope that runs down to a plateau on the on this river that has like an oxbow, like a turn in it. Mm -hmm. And so what what I want to do, and we haven't figured this out wholly yet, but I want to put like a tasting area right there on the on the oh, wow. the plateau. Yeah. And then and then well, no, this is where it gets fun. The only way that you can go to that tasting room is if you kayak down the river, starting <laughs> upriver at the bridge. <laughs> and so we drop you in on the kayak and you kayak down the Himalayan river. And it's pretty mellow right there. It's That's not like, yeah, go, um, work, go work for it. Yeah. You're, yeah. And then you pull over and you get out and you sit in this vineyard and you have some Bhutanese cuisine and you drink some local Bhutanese wine. Drink. That's a good day. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a bad day. Yeah. I've had, I've had worse. <laughs> you've had, I've had, yeah, I've had yeah, yeah, today actually. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Dealing with airports. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah so, absolutely. I mean, all of this is, you know, right now, 
uh, a, a vision, but yeah. I mean, that vineyard's planted, that river's there. I, I, all I need is a couple picnic tables and, you know, 2,500 bucks worth of kayaks. Like it's not, it's not an unreachable vision yeah, by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. So hopefully okay. in, in a year or two, people will have the opportunity to have that experience. And how amazing. That'd be unbelievable. Yeah. I've got two questions that sprung to mind. First question is, you know, when you release your first bottles, right? I'm no wine expert. You are. Do you think people would actually hoard, not hoard, they they won't open the wine. They'll keep it preserved and just close until like an Uber special time. Like, do you think they'll keep it? And also, do you think the people that you're working with, the government officials who agreed, are they excited by your project as well? Well, so the country is, the country went from being interested, but skeptical to then I actually started growing grapes there and then they got interested Yeah, and then the grapes started looking good. And then they moved from interested to like curious and paying attention. Yeah. Um, so the, I think the country is, is absolutely on board in terms of the first vintage. So there's two things I want to do. One thing I want to do is I want to create the very first barrel of wine and the very first, and a barrel holds 300 bottles. So for that very first barrel, um, I'm going to have, uh, you know, each one come off, be hand numbered. This is the first bottle ever produced. This is yeah. the second bottle ever produced. And we'll put those in, in boxes and we'll sign them. And I'll probably release NFTs to, to corroborate the authenticity of, of these things. I think those, and we will probably donate those to museums and to the people that help with the project. And I actually haven't decided hundred percent what I want to do with that yet, but one of my ideas is, um, to mix a little bit of all the different grapes from all the different vineyards together into that bottle. Oh, because okay. then wow. that bottle will truly wow. be like, this is it. Yeah, yeah. This was the first <laughs> thing. But if I do that, that wine's undrinkable, right? Because I'm mixing Riesling with Cabernet. With <laughs> yeah. Cabernet, yeah. Right? Like, but, but, it's, but it's cool. Um, and so like, I think for the first barrel, that's kind of where my head's at right now. And I think those will remain undrank forever. Okay. Um, like if it. you had the first bottle of wine ever produced in Canada, like, and it was full, like, yeah. did you ever open it up? Like, what <laughs> occasion? And it said a giant number one on the bottle, yeah. signed yeah. by like the Prime Minister of Canada. Like, <laughs> like, would you ever drink that? Like, it would just you, you wouldn't. Yeah. Um, and then I think for the rest of the bottles that are produced for that first vintage, they wouldn't be the first barrel, but they would be the first year. Yeah. And we would do something similar, like mark, you know, special labels. And I think those people would drink because they'd be curious. Um, and I think they would save them for special occasions, but, you know, not like the signing of a new constitution kind of shit. Like, <laughs> you know, but like, hey, this is it's important. What's interesting is because this is kind of a unique project and because I'm in this MW community of global, you know, wine experts, yeah. there's a whole lot of interest on the art of the possible. So I think that that first outside of the first barrel, right. But the first vintage, I actually think there's, I got a, I got a list of people with their hands up going like, can I try this? Please, please. Yeah. yeah. Please try this. So I think those will get drank and I think the first barrel will get saved. There's a long answer to your question, but. Do you think the King it's pretty cool? Oh, we'll give it a go. The royal family. Do you think he'd be interested in having the first bottle? I, I could say the the royal family has been extraordinarily supportive of us of us wow. pursuing this venture, and my my plan would be that uh, he gets he gets bottle number one. <laughs> he gets first dibs. Yeah, of course. <laughs> he, you know, 
Um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'd be very surprised if they didn't do that because it's such a big occasion, I'd imagine, for the country. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because the, you know, Bhutan was a monarchy for so many years and then they moved to this parliamentary system about 15 years ago. Yeah. Where the king is the head of state and the prime minister is head of government. Yeah. Similar to to, uh, to London or, yeah, to or UK. England. Yeah. UK. Yeah. Um, London, UK. I'm an American. It's all the same, right? So, you know, Britain. <laughs> don't, say, don't say London too much because people get annoyed at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but but they're still kind of figuring out how to how to do that um, in in a more effective um, like practically effective way. Mm. But um, and so you know my experience has been that the government, from a practical perspective, has been more involved in like okay, where do we want to put the vineyards? Like mm. like who needs to sign off on the permits to bring the, the grapevines in? Whereas. Yeah. The, the royal family is more like, this is an amazing thing for the country and we want to do it, but like, it's not our job to, yeah, to you can. make it happen. You're, literally, I have not told anybody this other than like a couple of insiders. And I, I think I, you've caught me after drank a couple glasses of wine <laughs> and outing it on the podcast. But yes, my goal is that the royal family gets not just bottle number one, but probably bottles number one through 10 or something. Okay. Yeah. Know? And those go into the Royal Museum uh, and yeah, they sit there and that's. That's how that works. It's kind of a dick move for me to go, ah, bottle one's for me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and to me, this is this is not an like an ego thing. Like I need my I need to have the first bottle. Like I, I think this is the coolest adventure in wine adventures in a long, long time. And I'm stoked to be a part of it. But wine's a community thing and it works if the community you know embraces it and so i'm, I'm happy to yeah i'm happy you've gone that way because I, I think have, having the first bottle of wine is a bit arbitrary doesn't actually really mean anything yeah it's great you can probably drink it but like it's bigger than that this project is bigger than that it's like an extra level to what you're doing because you are creating a new industry and something new for the country right it's bigger than just having the one bottle of wine to myself like the, the royal family 100 percent should have like the first 10 and keep them and Put them wherever to yeah, put, yeah, put them in perpetuity. Well, but just think about this. There's about 200 countries in the world. About yeah. 200. Yeah. What country do you think today that doesn't grow wine could conceivably have this idea of we built a wine industry? Anyone could like grow a vine maybe in a greenhouse and make some make a bottle of wine, right? That's possible. But this idea of like we built this industry, this is the first thing. I mean, Malta. <laughs> could Malta do it? I don't know. Global warming's really, they're about to get flooded. There's not a lot of spots to grow grapes, but maybe they could do it, but they mm. couldn't do it at scale. You know, could Iceland do it? Well, mm. maybe if they built enough greenhouses, you know, maybe like, yeah. but there's, there's just not a lot of countries left where this was even possible. This is yeah. quite possibly the, the last first bottle of a wine industry to ever be produced in, in, in the history of the world. Like, and, and, yeah. I, what and, I get to, and I get to, I get to, you know, draw the number one on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what a cool thing. Yeah. That is such a cool thing. Yeah. That's what I mean. Just having the bottle is, is a bit arbitrary because that is the thing that is cool. Yeah. You, you created that. It's, it's bigger than that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I believe it's bigger than that, but yeah. you know, who knows? Maybe there's a guy in Malta who's got a, uh, he lives in a 10th floor high rise. He's growing a couple grapevines in pots on his balcony and he's making wine. He's like, no, I'm doing it. Multi <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe that happens. I don't know. <laughs> I did find there's a guy, uh, a guy that recently planted vineyards in uh, on Easter Island. 
Oh, okay. Right. Which I thought was an interesting cool. idea. Like, yeah, kind of Sa- similar. Same similar, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Same sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I think Easter. I don't think Easter Island's its own country. I think it belongs it's not. to something. You probably uh, know. You're the travel guy. Like, doesn't it belong to somewhere? Chile. Oh well, Chile. Chile, Chile makes a lot of wine already. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So then it's just a different place in a, in a country that already makes fucking oceans of wine. <laughs> well, which is cool. It's still cool. Yeah. But it's not quite as cool. Yeah, yeah. It's not as cool. Bloody hell, I just looked on the map and it is South Pacific, middle of nowhere. I guess the closest place is Chile. Yeah, there you go. New Zealand would be next though, I think. Or maybe Peru. I want to ask you about your master of wine. Are you a master of wine now? I am a, uh, I have, (laughs) there's a number of tests. Yeah. And I have failed the final tasting exam, which is three days of tasting wine. Oh. Uh, I failed it four times. So. (laughs) Right. uh, (laughs) I'm taking it for the fifth time on July 26th. Okay. So in exactly 19 days, not that I'm counting, I'm hopeful that this is my my year to finally get there. But, you know, last year on the tasting exam, 125 people in the world took it and eight people passed. So, wow. I was in good company failing, but I'm, I'll tell you, I'm getting goddamn sick and tired of failing the thing. <laughs> What's the difference between you not being a master of wine and you being a master of wine? What does that entail? For like you going forward well so i think for a lot of people having the master of wine title infers a lot of professional credibility which mm. would allow them access to professional opportunities okay. that otherwise they might not get for me i already run the largest wine consulting practice in the world we didn't really talk about the day job but i think you mentioned i work for you know a large global consulting firm and um yeah i run the wine consulting practice so like like all oh, right is is for okay got it yeah. yeah so like for for me like if i got it like i, I maybe could get a job working for me <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know, like, so i from a from a practical perspective it's it, i don't it wouldn't really change my my world that much but it's but it's one of those things that I've put so much time and effort into it that I would like to complete it. And the way I, you know, we, we talked to, I think you mentioned the ultra running thing and, and there's a, yeah. a thing in like the ultra running community. Like if you were to go run the bad water uh, ultra marathon, you know, it's 155 miles. You start at the lowest point in the U S in death Valley and you run through heat to the highest point in the U S and, you have to be invited to run. And even if you're invited to run, most people don't finish. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I've definitely talked to people who have gotten close and m- not one of them have said, oh shit, I failed. They're like, I yeah. made it. I got in. I, I made it. I was so close. I, I got, I can't wait to try again, you know, because it, 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 it's a mark of um, that respect of, almost. The ever respect or honor of like, hey, like I, I pushed myself to the limit. This is as far as I was able to take it, but mm. I know I can take it, you know, a little bit further. And that's kind of the way I feel about the MW. Like if I, if I fail out again, um, you know, it's bad water. And I fail last year. I failed at mile one hundred. This year, I maybe I failed at mile one thirty. It's not a failure. It's a, okay. Yeah, Pick you, yourself you get up in and, and try again. Yeah. And the the real question is. And this is a question my girlfriend asks from time to time is like, uh, how long are you going to fucking try it? This time? <laughs> pretty much every vacation is let's go to a wine region so you can do some study in yeah. every weekend is I need seven hours to sit here writing dry notes. And I, you know. <laughs> so there's that, but yeah, you know, 
but you could almost take the ultra marathon running mentality. So my friend who came on, he said he would find running a marathon more difficult than doing a 60 mile race because marathon running needs to get fast time, right? Go, 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 go. Whereas ultra marathon, right. you just need to complete it. Now I, I'm right. sure, I'm sure that race that you mentioned has a time where it's a, a cutoff period, right? Where any, anything less than that, you're, you, you don't complete it, right? It must be that because you, you are able to walk in these events, aren't you? So yeah, get into master wine. You can, if it takes you 10 times, so be it. Right. You, you still get the belt buckle. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. I don't know if you know about the belt buckle, but in the ultra marathon community, yeah. if you finish. And so here's the way to work. Like there's, let's say there's a hundred mile race. Uh, if you can complete it in under, under 24 hours, you get the silver belt buckle. If you complete it under 30 hours, you get the bronze belt buckle. If it takes you more than 30 hours, you still completed it, but you don't get a buckle. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you can at least, you know, tell yourself that you did it and like you had that accomplishment. And so, um, yeah, for me, I like, I would prefer to have the buckle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But if I I don't, I don't, if If I hadn't joined the MW, if I hadn't joined the MW program, the Bhutan wine company would not exist and I would not be doing this crazy adventure. So all of the benefits, all Mm. of the, the journey that I got to go on because of the program I've already done. So yeah, whether or not I get the initials at the end, I'd prefer it, but it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, I want to quickly move on to your letter, drinking and knowing things. That sounds like it's to do with wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... so um, and book. And, and the books. Uh, so I, I basically started this blog accidentally where some of my friends that knew I was into wine and they were also interested. They would like say, hey, can you give us a wine recommendation? Tell us what to mm. buy. And I was like, no, fucking go buy something. And if you like it, cool. If you don't, try something different. Yeah. And then one day um, I wrote an email to like 10 of my friends saying, all right, you guys have been asking. I think you should all try Chenin Blanc. If you don't know about Chenin Blanc, this is why I think it's cool. And here's a couple of good examples at different price points. Go buy it. Mm-hmm. And I, it, wasn't anything that I intended to do again, but everybody responded like, Oh, this is amazing. Give us more, give us more. And so I did another one and then they forward the emails to their friends and their friends emailed me. And then next thing you know, I'm getting like emails from people in Germany going, Hey, I got, is it possible for you to add (laughs) me to this thing? And so I go, all right. So then, (laughs) then the thing got too big for me to manage out of my (laughs) inbox. So I set up a website that was like, if you want to sign up, don't bother me. Just go put your email in and you'll just start getting the emails from like day one. And then don't bother me. And so I thought I was done. And then, (laughs) then people started emailing me going like, yo, I'm new to this. Um, Is there any way to get like the back 45 issues? And I was like, (laughs) no, I'm not your fucking librarian. I'm sorry you're late to the party, but like, that's not why I did this. And I'm not, this is not my goal. And, uh, but I got enough of those requests that I put together the first 52 into a book um, with the Uh idea that people could, if they were curious about wine and they wanted to understand it at a deeper level, but do zero work whatsoever, they could get the book and they could, you know, read it five minutes of, this is why I think Chenin Blanc is cool go try a Chenin Blanc, you know, go down to your local grocery store or click on the link in the book and, and buy one. And 
And if you like it, great. If not, and then do it the next week. And over time, you would become a, a wine expert with without doing anything other than really drinking. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Drink. But, <laughs> and, and with a little bit of knowledge and hence yeah. drinking and knowing things. And so I, I just threw this book out there. <laughs> It's truly to stop people from asking me for the archived copies. And then it became a bestseller. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. All right. Well, I guess I'll do another one. So I released volume two and then that became a bestseller. And I was like, oh, all right. I, I, and for me, like it, it's, it's definitely, it wasn't like I set, set out to write yeah, yeah. bestselling wine books. It was, it was, I was truly just trying to tell my friends, I think that Menthea from Bierzo in Spain, which is not too far from Galicia, yeah. is really fucking a great wine because it reminds me of Pinot, but it's half the price and it's spicy and it's light and fruity and it's great to drink at a picnic. Here's a, here's a producer. Go find this and buy this. Like, <laughs> that was it. That was the entire book. It just sounds to me like you've just stumbled into things here. <laughs> the wine in Bhutan, the, the <laughs> newsletter and the book. Yeah, just like not really any intention there just opportunity arises let's go with it and give it a go well i think it's it comes back to this philosophy of the universe puts you where you're going to be shows you opportunities and what you do with them is up to you mm. and it's it's kind of like that was that jim carrey movie where he says yes to everything yes man is it yes man uh, i think i've seen that yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's kind of yeah. like that it, it's this where he i forget he gets hypnotized or something and then he has to say yes to everything and then yeah. just cool stuff happens and so this was literally my friends were saying, send me some. Uh, finally, okay, fine. Here you go. And then <laughs> next thing you know, it's, but I think if we all sort of stopped chasing arbitrary shit or arbitrary objectives yeah. and we just let the universe put us where we're supposed to be and then opened our eyes to what was going on around us mm. and said, hey, I'm going to try something. And it had the capacity to, not have any sense of self-worth tied to an outcome. Like I didn't write emails thinking, oh, I hope, I hope this is a bestseller yeah. someday. Yeah, it was yeah. like, I, I want to ha help my friends. And then yeah. the fact that it became a bestseller, okay, awesome. That's great. But mm. that's not why I did it. I did it to make friends. And I and I've met so many cool people because of this. I'll tell you, this is a funny story that just happened. So I was in Dusseldorf for the Pro Wine Conference, which is the biggest wine conference in the world. This, this is in May. Yeah. And I'm I'm in I'm in Dusseldorf and I'm tasting wine at this one booth um, because I'm trying to buy wine for the Druk Airlines wine program. Oh yeah. Okay. Right. And so I'm tasting this wine. <laughs> yeah. And this dude from Switzerland comes walking up to me and he goes, hey, you're the drinking and knowing things guy. And I go, yes, I am. <laughs> How did you reckon? He goes, I recognize the tattoos. He goes, this is so amazing for me. Would you mind if I get a selfie with you? Because none of my friends will believe me. And so I go, sure. So I take a <laughs> selfie with him. And he's happy and he talks to me for two minutes. And he walks off and my, I'm with my girlfriend. And she goes, did you just get fucking fanboyed by a Switzerland guy for your blog? And I go, yeah. yes, I did. <laughs> and that meant, that meant more to me than like any book sales, man. Like yeah, there's yeah, a dude yeah. from the other side of the planet that <laughs> I've made an impact in the way he enjoys wine with his friends. That's amazing. How cool is that? Yeah, that's, that's unreal. Yeah. 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 So that it's, just happened like a couple weeks ago. It comes down to what you said earlier. I, I put a 
clip on my social media, I think last week, from my guest, uh, Kate Wills, like a couple of episodes ago. And we talked about being yes people. If you give me an opportunity or do you want to go to Bhutan tomorrow to do wine tasting? I'm like, yeah. If you say yes to stuff, something's going to come about, isn't it? Like whether it's something really like small, really big. Like I, I'm convinced that if you do enough stuff, you, you'll learn something or you'll gain something or you gain new relationship or friend or, or even a business opportunity like these things do tend to come out and, and the whole clip was like yeah we just think saying yes to things in life is a good way of going about it mostly i i 100 agree with that the, the only thing i would maybe caveat that is yes but no commitment to what the outcome might be yes like, i get you like yes. hey yes i'm in this might suck you know what and if it does I'm probably going to learn something from it and I'm going to have an experience that's powerful and I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll make friends with the guys that I'm in the mud with. Um, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. It, may, it may not be enjoyable at the time, but it may be <laughs> awesome. Right. So if you pull the outcome out of it and just go, yeah, dude, like at the end of the day, like we're here for a brief speck of time in the history of the planet. And there's 8 billion of us that are here for a brief, like nobody gives a shit what kind of watch you had on when you died. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and let's assume that you bought the most expensive watch you could possibly buy. Well, there's probably a guy who found a way to buy a more expensive one. Who cares? Yeah. There's but always like, someone more, isn't there? Yeah. There's, yeah. But if you just like, I'm in on the experience, then you'll end up having, in my opinion, you will have, you know, a, a lifetime that is more robust the odds of being more successful are 10x. In whatever dimension you want to measure, if it's economics, well, if you said yes to everything, you probably tried some stuff that had risk and you probably had some reward. You probably met people that took you in and gave you opportunities you didn't know you had, right? Like if it was the definition of success is have the most friends. Well, you probably met the most fucking people. I, I don't know. <laughs> so say yes. I, I love that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this podcast is an example of this is I told a friend the other day that if only 10 people a week it's a bit more than that, but if only 10 people a week listened and they relied on my podcast on a Monday to make their week or to get them through work, whatever, that's good enough. I don't need Joe Rogan's 11 million people. Like it's 10 people is equally as good as 11 million, isn't it? Because someone is relying on you to provide something for them that means something to them. Well, I think the question is, is what do you want, right? Would mm. you rather have a hundred million dollar deal with Spotify or would you rather randomly be in Dusseldorf, Germany and have someone randomly come up to you and go, you changed my life. Can I get a photo with you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, which is more important? Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. Now, in reality, really, what would be the best scenario is where the guy in Dusseldorf, Germany, walks up to you and go, you changed my life and hands you a check for a hundred million dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Let me, who do I make this out to? Because <laughs> you get the best of both worlds. I don't know. But, but, uh, but yeah, for me, like I know enough miserable rich fuckers to know that like it's uh it's a better sum game to chase passion and dreams and experiences than uh than another another dollar fifty, you know. Totally or what agree. do you guys call it? Another goonie? Oh, toonie or something, isn't it? Looney or toonies? I have no idea what toonie. Yeah, know, there's Looney's one, toonies two dollar. Yeah. Uh, is that what it is? Oh uh, Looney, yeah. Looney, that's what Looney. it is. A Looney. Yeah. yeah. Weird. Or the first time I was in Canada and someone was like yeah, uh, it's a loony. I'm like, what are you talking about? What's <laughs> yeah. What the hell is that? Yeah. I still get confused. That's a good little clip there. I think you're totally right. Saying yes to things, outcome is not always the thing. It's like, yeah, um, you've got to figure out what you want. I want to quickly, before we finish our travel features, 
I want to talk about travel uh, very quickly. Uh, about oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the whole point of this podcast where we're talking about COVID and, and the philosophy of life and wine. It's been an amazing episode. I've discussed a lot of things here I've never discussed before because travel can be a bit siloed, right? It's about travel, which is great. That's why, that's why I do it. But it's good to veer off on certain other subjects. But before I get to my travel questions, which we'll ask you, like your favorite places and stuff, you said a few things before about you've been to Kathmandu. So I want to talk, ask about Nepal. Like, what's that like for you as a country and as a place? It's a more crowded, angrier version of Bhutan. Angrier. Like, Bhutan is what wow. Nepal could have been. Yeah. Had it not had. So, I mean, I think one of the great things about Bhutan, and I hate to bring, keep bringing stuff back to Bhutan, but um, so. Tibet and Nepal and Bhutan. And there's yeah. another kingdom there called Sikkim. 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 Got, oh, great. Part of India. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But Sikkim's gone. Sikkim got absorbed. And then Tibet and Nepal have had their own share of problems. Nepal with the whole um, royal family getting executed in the early 2000s and then Tibet with the China influence. Yeah. And Bhutan has sort of escaped that and has had has been able to maintain some, some uh, neutrality from, from, external influences. And so because of that, they've maintained a lot of their own identity. And I think both both Nepal and Tibet um, have suffered because they have not been able to do that. Mm. Uh, and it's and it's a bummer. Yeah, yeah. Did you go to Tibet in the 90s? Or has it been more recent trip? I, so I've actually never been to Tibet. Uh, okay, right. But but I mean, obviously, I've traveled extensively near Tibet. Um, and the borders, you know, there's a lot of Tibetan folks who fled Tibet because of the political situation and and ended up in in Bhutan. And so like, I I feel like I'm maybe more knowledgeable about, about uh, Tibet than the average Westerner, but I've never been there and I would love to go. Um, And I, it's one of those things that's every time I'm in Bhutan, I'm like, fuck, it's right there. Just go. But I'm like, I got this shit to do. And there's caterpillars in this vineyard. And like, I need to do (laughs) it. There's wasps. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's wasps over there. Um, I haven't been, but it's on, it's on my bucket list. I had a chance to actually get a base camp um, okay. recently. And uh, yeah. and so I, I wanted to do that. And I ended up having to say no for the same reason. It was kind of like I had too many other commitments and yeah. you got you to prioritize. There's someone I worked with here uh, in Vancouver who went to Tibet in the 90s. And I was fascinated. I was like, kept asking her questions because I think it's changed a lot in the last 20 years, hasn't it? With the influence from China. Um, I'd imagine people was like idyllic view of Tibet is probably not what it is now, what it was like back then, right? I 100% agree with that. What I don't know is, you know, if you were to put sort of a, like how bad is it on a scale of one to 10 versus how bad was it back then? Like, I I don't know where those numbers would be, but Mm. I would absolutely tell you it's a, it's gotta be worse now. Yeah. Than it was then. But the question is, is when's then? Like a lot of the, um, a lot of the refugees from Tibet like started back in the seventies. Like it mm. was bad for people back then. It's not like it just suddenly yeah. yesterday became shitty. I mean, there's been problems in the region for a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. And also I've got that film in my mind that seven years in Tibet. That's what I think today is, <laughs> <laughs> but obviously it's moved on since then, but yeah, th- there you go. Um, I've got some more questions to travel, but we'll come to those in a minute. Hey, yeah, just a quick one before we carry on with the travel questions. I just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast. You can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with $5. Or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with TeePublic, where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as t-shirts, jumpers, hoodies, and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, 
You can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast, and you'll find me displaying all my social media content for traveling, podcast, and other stuff. Thank you. It's travel question time. So we're going to finish with travel questions. Got loads to ask you. And this is just your favorite things normally. Three countries that you've been to that are your favorites. I mean, and let's let's eliminate Bhutan because like... Yeah, I think so. Yeah. We'll all agree that uh, like I think Bhutan is on top of the list. Yeah. Um, I think New Zealand is amazing. Yeah. People are amazing. The scenery is amazing. Shit to do there is amazing. Like New Zealand is just awesome. People should go to New Zealand. France... I think has a bad rap. And I think that the issue with France is Paris <laughs> and more specifically Parisian people. I love Paris. Yeah. Okay. Like imagine Paris, if it didn't have so many Parisians, I, I, there, was one, <laughs> there, was, there was one time I was in Paris. I got in three fist fights in a 48 hour period for being American. <laughs> All right. Okay. You know, there's, oh, you're not American. I mean, you're British, but. Trust me, we we, would still get a bit of stick. Yeah. I'm sure, (laughs) I'm sure you get a little, I'm sure you get some of it. The hit, if you know anything about the history between uh, Britain and France, (laughs) there's tension there, but for some reason America, they're like, yeah, you go fuck yourself. But um, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, Hey, American, go fuck yourself. Something I normally get at home. (laughs) Um, but but if you go outside of Paris, like to to some of the more remote areas, like Alsace, uh, Alsace is just a beautiful. You know, de- even down to like like south of Burgundy, mm. like there are just some some more rural areas where people live a more like slower idyllic lifestyle. Yeah, more like oh, you're here, cool. While you're here, would you like to do some food and wine stuff with us? And we're like, yeah, we would totally like to do that. It sounds amazing. Mm. Like, cool, come on in and hang out for twelve hours. And you're like, awesome. Let's do that. Um, so, so France, but not Paris. So France yeah. with caveat. I mean, I mentioned Antarctica earlier. And I think if you can, like people go to Antarctica on boats. Yeah. And they sort of drive by the coast and they sort of wave as they go by. And yeah. maybe they take a dinghy into the shore and they touch a penguin and they, they do some stuff. But man, like if you're on the continent of Antarctica, you feel like you're on another planet. I mean, it is otherworldly experience. It's unlike anything else that you're ever going to have anywhere on the planet ever, bar none. Fucking cool. Can't imagine it. I just can't imagine what it's like. I can imagine what the boat is like. Oh, just going on a cruise ship, just going around. Nah, you'd want to go on it, wouldn't you? But yeah, I can't imagine what it's like. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, I think the cruises like recognize that. And so they're sort of like, all right, cool. We're going to anchor here. And then, you know, mm. you get to boat onto the shore and you get to check it out, which is cool. But like, the middle of the continent, it's like there was this one ice shelf that was like 10 miles long and like a mile tall, but it was basically where like the glacier was falling over and it looked like a frozen wave, but it was oh. like this crystal and blue. Wow. Um, and it and it and it just was like like crackling with energy at you, and you're like, shit, I'm standing here in front of this. And you, by the way, you want to feel small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like you feel so small, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Like you're, you're just looking at this thing going like, wow. Uh so nature is number one. So much bigger and more powerful than I will ever be ever. Like, I'm just gonna try to not die in the few minutes I'm standing here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's good to know. With France, 
very quickly. I think it's the most travelled place in the world, isn't it? it? Has the most visitors, I think. But also in UK, you speak to most people and like they'd say, Oh, I'd love to go south of France and those little villages and have a like a little little house. That is always in the mind, I think, of a lot of people in England. I have had the most amazing, generous, authentic, like real human interactions everywhere in France, but in Paris. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, and Alsace, I, I mentioned it before, but I would go to Alsace anytime for as like I looked into buying a place in Alsace. That's how oh, wow. much I love Alsace. Love and, it. and that's not the south of France. I mean, that's on the German side. Yeah, yeah. It's on the other side of the Vosges Mountains. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, but it's spectacular. Okay. Yeah. I never know that place. So I'll check that out. Okay. What about three countries that you've not been to that's on your hit list? Well, so one of the things that we're trying to do is, and this isn't a country, but we're trying to do this. You run a marathon on every continent and then you run a marathon on the sea ice at the North Pole. Okay. Which takes a lot of planning um, because of global warming and uh, polar bears and and a whole bunch of other stuff. So, so that's, that's truly like um, outside of like wine trips, like that's on our the, the little group of the three guys that I'm doing this, this thing, it's called the grand slam. That's right there. I mean, that's, yeah. that's at the top, but it's, it's not really a country randomly. Uh, here's a great travel story. <laughs> and I, and I get that I'm bouncing all over the place. And no, no, just, do it, do it. I love it. It's yeah. my, my, you know, squirrel. Oh, here, let's talk about this shit. <laughs> um, so I was in Berlin once I had to go to Berlin for a meeting and I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm in Berlin. Let's go pop somewhere else. Um, what's close. So I, being American, cause we don't know geography, right? Yeah. I looked at a map and I was like, eh, okay, there's five or six other cities that are close. Stockholm. I've never been to Stockholm. Let's go there. Wow. And so it's not that close. It, well, yeah, but it's on a, on a map. It looks pretty close. right? Yeah. So, yeah. I, I'm American. I don't fucking know. So I went to Stockholm and I had the greatest fucking time. So Stockholm was amazing. Um, and also this was June. I should preface yeah, some of this. Um, but I had like Stockholm of all the cities I've been to, I'm pretty goddamn impressed with Stockholm. So anyways, so the long and short of this, I was like, Oh, Stockholm's cool. So then I was like, I bet Copenhagen's pretty cool too. So then I made another trip to go to Copenhagen and I'm like, awesome. But I didn't go to Norway. Okay. And so I, I kind of want to see if Oslo is sort of in that Copenhagen, Stockholm, like trio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually, if I do it right, I could probably go to Oslo and then go north and then figure out my way over to the North Pole thing yeah. for, for, for that run. And then where else? What would be number three? Well, I mean, and, and this is, seems it's kind of ridiculous, um, but I've, I've never been to Brazil. Oh, wow. Okay. I actually, I have a, I have a 10 year visa for Brazil and I've never been 10 year visa. How'd you get that? My firm has a pretty big firm down there and I was uh, supposed to go do this project down there and yeah, it yeah. equally is, is uh, troublesome to get like a one year as a 10 year. So I actually got a 10 year and then the project fell through and I didn't go. Wow. Um, here's the challenge for like the last 10 years of my life. I've been laser focused on uh, racing and like global wine regions and Brazil is kind of neither it seems like a fun ass place to go so many different like types of stuff you can do there north to south it is a trip in itself just brazil like there's so much to see and do there Amazing yeah place. and i and i i've been all over south america i just have never randomly mm. been to brazil okay um, that's a good one you know i went to portugal uh and i realized how unlike um spanish portuguese was <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i, I, I 
at least in Portugal. And you know, my it turns out turns out my my Los Angeles Spanish is actually not even that close to Spanish. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so it's also pretty far removed from Portugal. So I did this thing for a while where I was like, I was on the um Duolingo, like yeah, up my Portuguese. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I know like a little bit of Portuguese. I need to practice that shit out by going to uh, Brazil. Okay. Yeah. Like things like no fosh mall, which means like no big deal. You're, not, you're you out of wine? Yeah, no fosh mall. I'll take some rum. <laughs> okay, that's good. What about a country that you've not lived in that you'd like to live in for a year? I would 100% live in France or Italy or Portugal, frankly, for a year. Yeah. Without Pat and I. In all three of those countries, I have looked at buying houses in. Okay. Um, yeah. Including like extensively in France. Yeah. France has this crazy thing though, where if you stay there more than a hundred and I think it's 183 days a year, yeah. they actually claim tax rights to your global tax income, not income, oh, wow. France, but global tax income. Yeah. And it's, oh. and it's like 70%. Oh. So like, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, if you go to France, like you got to be real fucking careful about how much time you spend in France. But I, I would, I would, I would love to live in any of those three countries um, but if I had to pick, I would probably go to the Loire Valley in France. The Loire Valley is just spectacular. I don't know if you've been there, but no, I haven't. No, uh, France it's... is criminally under traveled. I've been to a few places: Marseille, Paris, Lyon. But yeah, not really. Lons. Um, oh so, uh, well. So let me tell you. Uh, let me put this on your on your bucket list. Yeah. Um, so the Loire. Uh, giant river. I think it's the longest river in Europe uh, or maybe the longest river in France, but it's long. Um, and down the river, that's where all the castles were back in the day. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so everyone would summer in Paris. Uh, everyone would live in Paris and then they would summer in the, the Loire. And the Loire is just, it's just this one beautiful castle after the next beautiful castle, but it's, it's completely rural. And so it's like everything that's cool about castles and food and wine, but no people. Wow. Um, we, we were there. <laughs> Actually, here's another random travel story, but we're, we're staying right outside of Bourgoy, um, which is right on the Loire. And we're, we're driving down or driving around through some of the wine regions. They're like Chinon and Samoa and Champagne. And yeah. And, uh, we kept driving by, there's this one road that runs right on the top of the riverbank. And so we're driving down and it keeps going through like this one little village. And every time we drive by it, there's a little bakery and the little bakery has a baguette vending machine outside. And so about the fourth time we drive by this fucking thing, I'm like, I, I have to know, what is this? So we stop and we get out and they have this thing, you put in a one euro coin and this big door goes thunk. And a steaming hot baguette pops out. Whoa, your, that's insane! In your hand. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's the best baguette you've ever had. In your yeah, life. And, and so so then every time we drove by it, like I was like, we're stopping to get back. Who's got euro coins? We need some baguettes, so we need them in the car. I I was so impressed with this. I looked into buying a baguette machine from my house when we got back. I literally was Googling the manufacturer like, okay, how much is this? How much is it to ship it to Orange County, California? Yeah. And then I realized you had to make the dough and feed it and stuff. And then I uh, wasn't right. too much of an issue, but it was, yeah. yeah. The law is awesome. Wow. Okay. And do you drink coffee? I know you drink tea, but do you drink coffee? 
I drink as much coffee as I possibly can get my hands on. Okay, two-pronged question. If you could pick one city in the world to drink coffee and watch the world go by, what city is that? Verona. Which country? Verona? Oh, so I think someone else has said that, you know? That's random. Verona, and... Verona has the best coffee of ever, any place I've ever been to. Yeah, next question, next question would be what country has the best coffee? Italy. Yeah, but, okay. But yeah. specifically Verona. Oh, wow. The best coffee. Yeah. That's a random place. Someone else said it. I'm like, shit, someone else said that as well. But before that, no mention of Verona, like not even a I, flicker. I literally, I had, we had a, the coffee in Verona was so spectacular. We had a dinner one night and mind you, I'm a wine guy yeah. and Verona is in a wine region Yeah, and we had dinner. And as my accompaniment to dinner, I had four cappuccinos. <laughs> wow. I liked the the cappuccinos better than I like the wine and the wine was pretty <laughs> fucking good. That's how wow. good the coffee in Verona is. Like there, this is this is this is not up for debate. This is like <laughs> Verona has the best coffee in the world, hands down. Are you a master of coffee as well? I am not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe that's next. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. That's a great tip. I need to get there because I love coffee as much as you do, probably. So okay. What about a favorite beach that you've been to? I mean Newport Beach, it's where I grew up, it's where I know. I I, I know that I know every curve of that beach i know every spot i know where the surf breaks i know everything okay. about it i mean people from all over the world come to visit there i just was lucky enough to be to be born right there and, and grow up near it but I, I i would go to to newport beach over any other beach okay that's good what about top three favorite cities that you've been to or that you like going to top three i mean well stockholm as i mentioned is like <laughs> here's here's what's awesome about stockholm it's so clean I don't understand how a city that is as old as Stockholm is as clean as it is. And the people are like the friendliest people. It was like, they're like, hey, what's up? Cool. Do you want to hang out? Let's do some Stockholm shit. And I'm like, yeah, awesome. <laughs> um, I, I, I saw the best jazz band I've ever seen in my life in Stockholm at this random little club called Stampum, which I found out later is like one of the top jazz clubs in Europe. But it okay. was like... The, the best jazz band I've ever seen. And they played for a group of eight of us and they played their hearts out and no one cared. And I, I went up to the drummer afterwards and I go, I go, yo, like you guys are pretty, pretty good. Like, and mm. I'm a drummer, like pretty, pretty solid. Like, why are you playing here? He goes, Oh no, no, we're all in other bands. This is just like, like when we have some time, we, we like to hang out at Stampham in Stockholm and just jam and uh, we're like, we don't really care if anyone comes to see us. It's like, oh, what's your other band? And he goes, oh, it's, um, I don't know if you know this guy, Chuck Mangione. And I go, well, uh, um, yeah, turns out I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're the fucking drummer for Chuck. He goes, yeah. I go, and you're in stamping fucking Stockholm playing for eight people. And he goes, but these are my friends. And like, this is fun. Yeah. Like, like, holy shit. So Stockholm would be on the list. Um, I think, and this is not a city for everybody. But Berlin, to me, is the most punk rock city in the world. Okay. It's pretty wild, um, isn't it, Berlin? Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just punk. It's just and noise. It's just, it's, it's just noise. And, like, yeah. if you're into that, which I am, like, it's great. My girlfriend, last time we were there, she was like, I hate this fucking place. When can we leave? <laughs> and I'm like, it's, it's two in the morning. We're about, the club's just about to open. We're, yeah. you know, we're, yeah. we're going there first. Uh, <laughs> 
So those are two. I would say, let me throw up maybe a random something in there. Hong Kong is pretty bitching. Okay. Now, all that being said, Hong Kong is obviously changing as the political influences have yeah. changed there. But one of the things I love about Hong Kong is you have this, this radical Chinese culture influence, but as a Westerner, you can navigate it effectively. Mm. Because okay. so you can sort of participate at a greater level than you could participate if you're going to, the, to Beijing or Shanghai or, or somewhere yeah. where the language is, is much more of a barrier and the, and the culture is maybe much more of a barrier. So like you sort of can have that experience at a deeper level as a Westerner. Mm. Um, now that said, I haven't been in a few years and it turns out some shit's been going on down there for, yeah. for a little bit. So like, don't know, but Hong Kong's cool. Okay. That's great. What about a favorite walk or trek that you've done? Can I talk about one that I want to do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So this is a cool story. So in Bhutan, which is known for trekking, they have yeah. this famous trek called the Snowman Trek, which is a hundred and I think it's 155 miles. And it's over five peaks that are like 18,000 foot peaks. And it's a bucket list trek. You can only do it in October because oh. it's the only time it's passable. Yeah. Um, it's dangerous. It's remote. Snow leopards might eat you. Like it's, it's some gnarly <laughs> shit. It's a bucket list trek and it takes about a month to do. Shit, so a couple years ago, the Bhutanese government decided they wanted to create an ultra marathon, uh, the world's hardest ultra marathon to draw attention to climate change. Oh, yeah. And so they decided they were going to do an ultra marathon on that track. Yeah. Wow. And so they talked to me about it. And I was like, you know, this is pretty dangerous. Like, I don't think you guys know how dangerous this is. So I got one of my buddies who's an ultra marathon, like race director involved to actually manage stuff. Mm. So people didn't die. <laughs> um, and so they're, they're creating this invitational. They're going to invite 25, you know, ultra marathoners from around the world and five Bhutanese people. They were going to run the, the course in five days instead of 30 in stages with the idea that this is going to be the world's hardest ultra marathon. And I said, hey, look, I'm not a competitive ultra marathoner, but I want to do this. Is it cool if I just kind of come along and jog along? And like, is that cool? <laughs> and they're like yeah, that's cool. Like, you can come yeah. do that. Uh, the race was scheduled for October of 2020 and COVID uh, happened. So they yeah. shut the shut the course down. But it's it's still, and people can check it out. It's called the Snowman Run. I think it's snowmanrun.org or snowmanrun.com. That's the race. The track exists. Like, you mm. can do the trek whenever. I am, I want to do this. And it's terrifying to me. Like it's probably the scariest race I've ever done by, wow. by a significant, like the odds of death on this for, for a guy like me yeah, are, let's say reasonable. Oh, God. <laughs> and so, so like that, the idea of like doing something that's this fucking insane, crazy, but having some, I mean, some safety protocols, it's not like you're like, like there's the first aid, the water stations every 30, you know, yeah. feet and like the, the ambulance guys there. I mean, this is like, maybe if you get in trouble, the helicopters could get there in seven hours and then take you somewhere where you might be within a plane ride, an eight hour plane ride of a hospital. <laughs> like, it's like that kind of thing. But <laughs> that I want to do this. I, okay. tra I was training to do this. This shit is going on and I've, fucking one in on it okay no it's one's good. done this no <laughs> this, is another, this is another one of those like 
Yeah, no one's done this, but like I, I want to. It's a classic say yes, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, Interesting. I'd like to keep an eye on that and see, I guess it'd be this year, right? In October, surely. So I actually, I got to check in with Lou, my buddy that's running, this guy named Lewis. I need to check in and see if they, they just pulled the quarantine on Bhutan. Like literally, yeah. we talked about this like a couple of days yeah. ago. Um, but so I think, I'm not sure if it's on for this October or if they're going to push it till next. I don't know. Probably Regardless, next. if it's this October, I can't do it. Like I'm yeah. not in shape for it. And I have to do things like take an MW exam in six or in three weeks. And I have to kill some caterpillars. I got other shit to do right now, but wasps, yeah. I got to kill some wasps. <laughs> but like, if it's back on, then I'll probably start, start really seriously training for it for, uh, and mostly like oxygen deprivation stuff more so than running, but yeah, that's going to be a question. Is it more just that altitude? Yeah. I mean, so how difficult like, that is. like high altitude pulmonary edema is like the number one killer of people and stuff like this. And there is the highest mountain in the continental U S is like 15,000 feet. Like there isn't even a way to, for me to train mm. here yeah. to, to, to do that. Yeah. I yeah. That. yeah. So I, I actually, I, I bought like this um, high altitude simulator, which is pretty high tech. It, it, what it does is, is um, you can't just restrict your, your airflow. This is totally geeky shit, but <laughs> you can't just restrict your airflow because the, the, if you do what you take in the, the ratio of oxygen molecules in that resulting air is the same. There's just less of it. It's like breathing through a straw. It's the same air. Yeah. So what you have to do is you have to get a, a mechanism that actually strips out some of the oxygen molecules in the air. So I bought this fucking thing and I strap it on. And so mind you, th- th- this is, not, I'm not even running. I'm stra- I'm sitting in a chair and I have this thing strapped to my face and um, within five minutes I'm panicking. Bloody hell. And I, and I, like my brain's going like, you're going to die. Take it off. Take it yeah. off. Take it off. And I'm like, wait, there's going to be five days of this. And, and also I'm running <laughs> like, like, like right now. I'm just sitting. <laughs> like, the fuck happens when I'm running. Bloody hell. Yeah. So, yeah. so that that's the hike I want to do. Okay. That is probably the most extreme answer I've ever ever had i love that a couple more questions what about a favorite landmark can be nature or human made you got some interesting questions for sure like some shit i definitely haven't thought about before um oh, good. Favorite landmark i mean this is gonna sound fucking cheesy but it is like i am pro-america i am 100 behind the concept of freedom and acceptance and diversity and fucking come on in and yeah. And like, let's just do some shit together. Uh, and so the Statue of Liberty, like when I say I'm in New York all the time, but every time I see the Statue of Liberty, like I take a second and I look at it and I'm like, yep, we're, I don't know that we're executing effectively against that <laughs> yeah. standard, but, uh, but yeah, that's an interesting question. Of it, <laughs> like to me means something. Okay. That's a good answer. I like that. Okay. This is a good question. Now, what about a favorite cuisine or dish? Um, internationally, not American. Not American. Well, so in Bhutan, yeah. the national dish, I'll take everything back to Bhutan, given yeah. give the opportunity. Um, in Bhutan, they have, a, it's a very kind of spice dominated cuisine, but it's a very flavorful spice more like Thailand versus India, which would be more like hot spice. Mm. And so their national dish is called emadashi, which yeah. is, it's very simple. It's peppers and cheese. Mm. 
it's this very simple uh, local farmer's dish. And, and by the way, it can come in a little hot too. Okay. As I found out the hard way a couple of times, but yeah. like to me, that's a very, that's a, that's a great international dish. Can't wait to taste it. Yeah. Well, maybe a favorite lake. Do you have a favorite lake that you've been to? Not that I'm a lake guy, but like, uh, I don't know if you ever saw, have you ever saw What About Bob? <laughs> no. Yeah. You ever seen this? Do you know Bill Murray, the actor yeah, Bill Murray? Bill Murray, yeah. He did, the, he did this movie called What About Bob, where they go to Lake Winnipesaukee. Um, which is in like fucking Vermont or New Hampshire, yeah. somewhere up there. And my kids and I used to watch this movie when they were young. Uh, and it was, they used to love the movie. And so one time randomly I said, let's go to Lake Winnipesaukee. So I flew them across the country <laughs> we went to Lake Winnipesaukee. And we, and by the way, that's, cl- it was clearly not where they filmed the movie. <laughs> like <it> was, nothing, <laughs> yeah. nothing was familiar, but we were there. And like, so we're like, we're going to do all the things that they did in the movie. And so we had this, this amazing experience uh, with the, with the kids and, and it was highly emotional. And, and we just had a really good time. And we still talk about it to this day. I was, I was hanging out with my son in Los Angeles last night and, uh, and it literally came up last night. We were talking about <laughs> went up with yeah. hockey. So, yeah. so like that to me, that, that is a special meaning. It's not that bitching of a lake <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> but, but for me, it has meaning. So Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's what matters is the meaning. Yep. And one view for the rest of your life. So what I mean by that is it could be the mountains like Himalayas, could be an idyllic island in the South Pacific, could be a beach, could be a city. One view. There's so many to mention, but staying with the Bhutanese theme. Yeah. When you drive from Timpu to Punaka, you go over the Dorshula Pass. And the Dorshula Pass is, I don't know, it's maybe 11,000 feet. What's funny is actually the first, the first time I went there, there I was, they were like, oh, we're going to drive from here to there. It's going to be like four and a half hours. And I looked at the map and I was like, it's 28 miles. <laughs> and I go, like, I think you got the time wrong. And, the guy, <laughs> and I asked the guy, the guy laughed. He goes, aha, you haven't seen the road. Um, and so, That's but it. At the top of the Dorsula Pass, there's this, this spectrum and then there's a cafe and you can stop and they have like these little, they have a memorial to some soldiers that, that were killed. But what's fucking cool about it is from there. Now, the, the challenge with this view is it's often cloudy, mm. but if it's not, you can see, I think it's 14 different mountains that are over 20,000 feet in height. Whoa, that's crazy. From this one pass. And so when the clouds are gone, like, it's just this, like, stunning vista. And you're looking at it, and you're like, how are these things this big? Yeah, yeah. This amazing. And also, you can't breathe because you're, like, 11,000 feet. <laughs> <laughs> you're drinking butter tea. And like, But it, it's, it's powerful. Okay. Um, that said, in my experience, one in three times, it's not cloudy. Two and three times it's cloudy and you don't see shit and all you're like is like i don't care do you know what? i'll take that i'll Go. take a third yeah 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 i mean i'll, I'll take that bet yeah 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 and, and you got and you got to go over it twice like because you got to go over it and come back so like if you have <laughs> you know, yeah. two-thirds chance right like yeah, yeah, yeah you're fine okay cool that's a great view and i normally finish the episode with this question and it's more about why should someone go traveling what would you say to someone who's maybe on the fence or maybe like thinking about going to Bhutan, just can't quite do it like why should they go well do you want to stay the same fucking person you are today or do you want to 
evolve, you know? Mm. If you want to stay the same person, stay in the same spot doing the same shit. Yeah. If you want to evolve, whatever that means to you, one lever to pull on that is travel. Another Mm. might be education or, you know, skills training or whatever, but probably the easiest one to pull is travel. Get a goddamn ticket, figure out that Stockholm is the closest place to Berlin that you've never been. (laughs) Jump on a plane and go there and you'll have some cool Stockholm stories for the rest of your life. Like, I mean, you know, okay, do that or don't stay home and be the same, you know, person that you are. Like that's on you. And this is not a, that's not a judgment thing either, mm. by the way. Like I know I, like I have relatives and friends who are completely content, not evolving. Like yeah. I'm here. I like this. Well, we're going to do it. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. That's a great way to finish. One final question. If people maybe want to connect with you, um, do you have any social media or LinkedIn? I think you have LinkedIn, right? But do you have anything where they can maybe contact you? Yeah. I mean, um, drinking and knowing things.com is an easy way to just connect with me. You can sign up for the, the newsletter if you want to get some wine stuff. There's links to my books. There's ways, there's links to my social. Um, if you want to connect with me uh, or if you want to keep up with Bhutan Wine, it's bhutanwine.com or at Bhutan Wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't really talk about the rum company, but SoCal Rum. <laughs> Uh, oh yes, you own that as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh god. So, I mean, well, I mean, yeah. I get we have a finite amount of hours to to sit here. You know, talking about covered a lot of but, stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, and I, and I welcome anyone that wants to reach out to me on any topic. I'm I'm happy to engage with people, and I, I truly I am such a fan of of Bhutan. I think if if anyone wants to go there or is curious about that going there, you know, I'm happy to help in any way I can. I, I think it, it will be a life-changing experience for the people that go and, and, uh, and James, you're included in that. Like, yeah, yeah I want to, uh... I want to bring Bhutan to the world. So like whatever I need to do to, to help facilitate that I'm yeah. all in. Okay. I'll put all the links in the show notes so people can contact, um, those specific areas of yourself, but also, yeah, I will be hitting you up for some, uh, ways to get to Bhutan and stuff to, Oh, yeah. Well, you, you and I are going to have some offline discussions. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But before that, I just want to say bye. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you making time. Oh, shit. Great to be here, man. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Thank you for listening to my Winging It Travel podcast episode today. You can find me on Instagram at James Hammond Travel or Winging It Travel podcast. You can search for both. I release weekly clips of this podcast episode as well as photos from the last eight to ten years of my travels. You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook and Pinterest by searching Winging It Travel Podcast. I do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week. Also check out my website jameshammond.org. There's content about myself, my travels and there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it and enjoying the content so far. Stay safe, stay humble, keep listening, keep traveling, and I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James.